Hailing frequencies are open, and welcome back to Clear Skies, our Star Trek Adventures live play here on Q Times. I'm here with the stream punks as always on Monday nights before we go to the stars. Um, I didn't get a chance to ask y'all in pre show. Is everyone doing okay? How y'all doing? Doing all right? Doing Feeling all good? right, as doing can okay. be. Yeah. <laughs> doing good. In a world yeah. that's being crushed by a pandemic, we're doing okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind of hanging in there. <laughs> um, no, not so much. Okay. Um, so uh, before we kick off tonight's game, let me just open the door real quick to ask if we have any announcements the stream punks would like to toss out there. Anything coming up? Yes, Xander. Oh my God. What would it have been like if Xander didn't raise his hand? I'm what sorry. If we, what if we didn't have a library bards announcement? We like, could speculate, we but it's yeah. not today. Uh, okay. Tomorrow, I'm going to be doing an appearance on the Walking Dead's uh, Twitch channel, doing uh, their show, it's Character Collisions. So we're taking some characters from the Walking Dead universe and comparing them to other universes, and I'm doing Nintendo tomorrow. So that'll be at TWD Universe, uh, twitch.tv slash, uh, and that'll be 3 p.m. Pacific. And if you don't want to watch Walking Dead, you can tune in at the exact same time and watch me. <laughs> I'll be doing a D&D one shot from three to five. Aki's in it as well. It's going to be amazing on the Roll20 Twitch channel. Uh, and it's going to be fantastic. And so, you know, zombies, D&D, you, you pick your, you pick your bard. <laughs> Who do you want to watch at three o'clock? Bard. Hashtag Dan Go. Exactly. Uh-oh. Let war begin. Uh-oh. This is why the good lord invented dual monitor setups. <laughs> I'm just going to let y'all know I'll be playing bagpipes, so you might want to oh, tune man. in. Xander's like, I, I don't know that I can compete. I can't compete with that. <laughs> <laughs> there might, they might be like metaphysical bagpipes. Metaphysical bagpipes is a great band name. <gasps> little, little, little wordy, but, but a good band name. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, Aki. Uh, I, uh, aside from the really cool one shot that I will be doing with Bonnie tomorrow that I'm super stoked about, uh, I am launching a, a pilot of a brand new uh, tabletop role-playing game series with Indicate this upcoming Friday at 11 a.m. with my co-host Colin Kelly, who you might remember as this might be a good idea from Vast. Um, he and I are going to be hosting this together. It should be a lot of fun. We're starting off uh, with uh, Visigoths versus Molgoths uh, actual play. Um, yep, that's at 11 a.m. over on twitch.tv slash Indicade. Uh, so definitely check it out. It's going to be it's going to be cool. Wait. Anybody else? Anybody else got something they would like to say? Anybody else like the floor? Anybody just want to say anything? Nobody wants to say anything. I was, and I'm going to have more music on soon for I'm I have ideas and things are going to be released probably this week for Valentine's Day because I'm crazy and put like horrible deadlines to myself okay okay Carry but, on. but but that's good that's good it, it wasn't People look uh, on my it, socials it wasn't a uh, it wasn't uh I will have an announcement at someday but I can't talk about it now but I'll let you know <laughs> oh it. no I'll let you I know have those two years from now if something changes <laughs> I have those two Eric, you stop just... teasing my commander I can't, right I can't. I can't. I wish I could. I can't. I, I feel like my it. future announcements are always implied. Now. It's true. It's <laughs> like Bonnie has true. something. Who knows? <laughs> uh, you are in demand and important. That's for true. Anybody else got anything before we jump into tonight's game? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, you said that if anyone wants the floor, I don't know if I want the floor. The floor is lava. Water is apparently also lava because ice is rock and 
waters. Molten Rock, and it kind of broke my brain this week, so if you hadn't heard that yet, let it break yours too, because they technically fit the de definitions, which is why technically correct is the most disconcerting kind of correct. But nonetheless, taxonomy is exciting, and so is this. All right. We're going to let Gina's brain recover from that, and... <laughs> as they were trying to process, she was trying to process that. Let's go ahead and jump into tonight's game of Clear Skies. We're lava. That was a very stressful period between trying to like piece as Sam did their best to try to explain to us the very obvious logic of, of their statements. Um, however, <laughs> the obvious logic that we are lava monsters. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into our quick recap. Last. I mean, I'm so sorry. Like humans so are just monsters in general. Adding the fact that we're lava monsters to so that just overcomplicates things. Yep. It's because we hot. Well, process. Yeah. Super hot. I apologize. My camera is falling. <laughs> so if you see a lot of fur hands. It's chaos. The top of the game. Um, okay. It was a big episode for the crew of the USS Ross last episode. Some pretty big changes happening to the crew. You guys have been reassigned. Now, Azri, I'm sure... You, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like on some level, Captain Saul knew that this was a possibility one day, that this is probably going to happen. The Ross proving herself time and time again as a valuable asset of the Federation. Her successes essentially earned her an upgrade, which meant pulling her out of the Ross, We were too good. It was a big mistake. Essentially, yes. We should never have been so successful and excellent. Being that much of an asset to the Federation, they decided to put you where the Federation needs you most, which is in the Alpha Quadrant. Six years after the end of the Dominion War, the galaxy is still very much in the process of reconstruction, even with the technologies of this modern age. Um, keep in mind, Cardassia Prime alone lost cities in what was essentially a what would be the equivalent of complete nuclear annihilation on the part of the Dominion as 
a counterattack to the uprising of the Cardassian civilian and military governments against the Dominion in the final days of the war. The founder, as she is just simply known, ordered the Dominion military to launch an orbital assault that destroyed cities. All, all major cities on Cardassia Prime were destroyed, almost to rubble. Billions of Cardassians died in a single day as a result of this. And this is not even addressing the damages that happened across the Cardassian territories through the war itself. But the Cardassian homeworld became a gaping wound that after six years has still not healed. And the trauma of that effect has been a ripple effect across Cardass the Cardassian Empire. Um, Although, is the Cardassian, an empire, Cardassian government an empire anymore? It's hard to say, because right now there's a huge... The, the Cardassian government is in a huge state of flux right now. With civilians now in control and leading the reconstruction efforts, the Cardassian territory is in the process of putting itself back together. However, the major powers of the Alpha Quadrant have all agreed that it is imperative that the Cardassian people be allowed to keep their sovereignty and to build their own futures and we should support them to do so. This not only promotes, a, this will not only promote well-being in the Alpha Quadrant, but stability and prevents an entire government that spans a good swath of space from collapsing into pure chaos, which would have affected every government that it bordered, including mostly the Federation. But Romulans, Klingons, Federation, everyone agreed. The Alliance agreed that it was imperative that Cardassians be allowed their own future now that the government, the military government, has been dismantled. This is a snapshot of what has been going on for the past half decade in the Alpha Quadrant. The Ross has just become too valuable, and on the recommendation of your ally, Admiral April Hebert, not only was the USS Ross reassigned to the Alpha Quadrant, but she has been given the classification of a, as a flagship of the United Federation of Planets. Y'all are the diplomatic arm of the diplomatic corps of Starfleet now. That does not mean that that's all you're doing. The Ross will still be expected to engage in scientific research and exploration missions, rescue missions, and even defense missions if necessary. But when there's a diplomatic crisis at hand, the Ross is who they call. Y'all are the ones that are rushing to the forefront to try to get people to put their guns down and talk. It's been a two-month journey from the Shackleton Expanse across the great expanse of Klingon territory all the way back to Earth's space dock. For the past two months, the USS Ross has been traveling at high warp, making the occasional stop here and there to pick up either supplies or do a very small crew transfer some for some people who are doing cross transfers in the Klingon territories. Also doing the Klingon government a favor, picking up some dignitaries and taking them where they need to go since you are passing through the territory. All in all though, it has been a straight shot all the way through Klingon space. I will give you guys a fun little update though. Without being too invasive you did receive an update that a particular colony that the USS Ross first encountered on their way out to the Shackleton Expanse almost 11 months ago is doing quite well for itself it's still under quarantine but the people living there apparently are healthy and prospering and are doing so in solitude 
and thriving on their own. It is kept very vague. The Klingon government does not officially have any statements for the Ross. You can only imagine politically what that colony might mean for Martok if it becomes bigger and better known. The implications of a Borg colony in Klingon space could be a big headache for the reformer Klingon High Chancellor. So the Ross is given a very low-key tip of the hat. Hey, we're doing all right. Thanks so much. Kind of like update as y'all travel through space. We begin tonight's game as y'all are entering Sector 001. Home sweet home. At high warp right now, you are approximately 10 minutes out from the soul system. It's a bit of a somber moment because as you are passing through the different systems, you are seeing coming up on the star charts on your hollow display at your command console, Captain Sol, familiar sectors of space. You've passed Vulcan, you've passed the Andorian homeworld. You're seeing like all of the familiar sites that you all left. You see the monument that's been left at Wolf 359. You're seeing all of the markers here in the Alpha Quadrant that you haven't seen for quite some time. And then, almost like answering your thoughts, you hear Vren swivel in his chair and look over his shoulder and say to you, Captain, we'll be arriving at Earth's space dock in approximately 10 minutes. Excellent. Alert the crew and get the disembark schedule ready. Let's sing now. I think a lot of people are going to be going through the transporters today. I Do you have any plans, Ambassador? Going over to Japan, perhaps? Um, perhaps, um, I haven't visited my alma mater in some time, but, uh, the hope was actually to see my parents, um, actually, if, if it's all right with you, I'd, I'd like to invite them aboard for a tour. Oh, wonderful! Yes, absolutely! You should have them, and you should absolutely use all of the pomp of the diplomatic suites aboard the Ross, please. Impress them. I had no idea they were in Sector 001. Good gracious, why didn't you tell me? Well, last I heard they were, they, I, I've sent them a few messages um, letting them know I'm on my way. I, I, I haven't actually had the chance to, to talk with them, but the hope is that they'll be waiting for me when we get there. Um, and uh, if Shanta, they're not, can we then... Can office to confirm that they're on planet? You're asking Shanto? Yes. Um... Shanto looks down at the data pad and says, I have the ambassador's itinerary right here. They're going to be uh, actually waiting for the Ross's arrival at Starbase One. Then it's confirmed. Uh, I'm going to pretend that you didn't tell me that because if they didn't answer me specifically, they did not want me to know. Know what? <laughs> Thank you, Captain. Um... But yes, I really do hope I get to see my parents. Um, I will not lie, I have missed them and I would really like a hug. That sounds wonderful. Commander? You? Well, um, I suppose I shall be lavishing some old friends with some very wild stories. 
I'm going to a hockey game. You hear Vran immediately state as he swivels around. The Klingon team is playing the Andorian team tonight in San Francisco. It is the aligning of the fates. I'm going to a hockey game, sir. Unless you tell me no, sir. Only if you refused to get tickets for your best friend, who is sitting up very upright in her chair at this particular moment. Vryn looks over at you and goes, did you want to go to the hockey game? I didn't even think to ask you. I didn't think that would be something you liked. What's hockey? Yeah, you need to come with me to the hockey game. I I mean, Endorians versus Klingon, uh, it feels like it's right up my alley, quite honestly. It's, it's just a fight. It's a two-hour fight. It's oh, that's amazing. Yes. Last, like, there's 40 minutes of hockey, and everything else is just beating the crap out of each other. You keep saying the word hockey like you think I know what it means. It's going to be amazing. You're gonna love say it. the word fight instead. I'm, I'm ready. not going to explain it. I'm just going to watch your face as you watch. It's going to be perfect. I cannot wait. I have to return a few things that accidentally slipped into my luggage, but uh, that should be real quick. Hockey. I'm so ready. Prawl immediately under his breath at the tactical station says, the last thing that slipped into your luggage turned out to be an alien artifact that nearly conquered the entire vessel. Did you hear something, Bren? Uh, he, he's got rank on me. I can't do this joke. I'm sorry. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> Paul, do you want to come to a, a hockey game? No, I'm good, thank you. Hockey um, makes me uncomfortable. Okay, Jane swivels <laughs> to yeah. face him. Yeah, Vryn, Vryn doesn't know how to take that. Vryn just kind of says, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I guess I could see that. Uh, Commander, could I um, ask you to please unpack that statement for me? I don't like watching fights because it makes me want to fight. I mean, isn't that part of fun? It's part of fun being a fighter. Yeah, I, I you guess. You see the smile on his face. And Vryn raises his hand and says, listen, hockey is not all fighting. It just fighting happens sometimes. It just so happens. It's all fighting. That's what I'm going. Yeah, I'm just saying my people and Klingons really like to fight. And when you put them on ice skates and there's a puck being knocked around, it's, you hear a there's chirping. There's a whole position around. dedicated to enforcing via violence this sounds that amazing. other players should be playing the game. And you assert that there's no fighting. This Do not mislead not. our young Lieutenant. This sounds Mr. amazing. Mr. Bren. Friend swivels back to the front, just going, I am so losing whatever the hell fight is happening right now. Um. <laughs> I think that we should take Prawl with us. I don't think that he's, I think he's going to do his brooding thing if he, if, if, if we don't make him. I'll go with you. You hear Prawl suddenly say rather, uh, rather contradictory. That settles it. Perfect. A hockey game. Two hours of fighting. This is going to be amazing. Shanto is in the back of the bridge listening to this banter. Uh, she's holding the data pad up to her chest right now, and she's not really she's not really looking at anybody while this is happening. She's just kind of eyes down, but you see this sort of amused look on her face. Like this whole banter has just kind of lifted her spirits a little bit. Because the bridge crew right now is talking with excitement. This is all translating to after eleven months of being away, we're excited to be home again. Um, and it's almost 
to answer the story beat when you hear the chirping sound go off and say, Captain, now arriving at Starbase One. And you see on the main view screen, just as you exit warp and enter into full impulse, you see Jupiter fall right past the view screen. Just... Starbase One on approach. And you hear hailing frequency open. Starbase One, this is the USS Ross. And you hear... Starbase One, crystal clear coming through. We read you, USS Ross. And Vryn says, approach control. This is the USS Ross, ready for docking maneuver. Ross is cleared to dock. And you see Vryn play his fingers across the console and this blue light flashes. And he says, systems are locked in on approach space dock. You have control. And you hear that crystal clear voice again up on the view screen as you get to see this huge column that is Starbase One, the grand home base of Starfleet Command here, just over that beautiful crystal blue horizon of the, of the planet Earth. The moon is in the background. You can see the thousand fireflies of city lights all across the surface of the moon. And of course, the sunset off in the distance as y'all are beginning to approach the Starbase. You hear Starbase say, affirmative USS Ross, enjoy the ride and welcome home. And with that, you get indications all across your consoles that Starbase Control now has control of the Ross, and you all are being guided in to the Starbase. To give you an idea of the size, of course, of Starbase One, is these great doors, which have been modified over time to accommodate the increasing size of Starfleet vessels. These doors just they slide open, and the Ross begins to drift into Starbase One's uh, inner docking ring. Upon entry into the docking ring, you can see all manner of starships docked inside here. Um, mostly starships that are in for overhauls or are on uh, on just like on a quick stay before they're either moving on to their next assignments or they're doing uh, duty transfers or docked in here. And you're seeing all kinds of starships that are moving through here. Mostly looks like uh, science vessels right now from what you can tell. Um, the Ross, as she pulls into space dock and approaches the docking ring 4C, you get the indications going across the green light board as the Ross comes to a halt. And you hear Vrin say, activating all moorings and stand by. And you hear, and you hear the chirping of confirmation and Vrin claps his hands together and says, we've docked, Captain. Powering down me. You heard the man. I'm now free to move about the cabin. Uh, Exio, could you help me with some of the quick sign-offs before we get out of here? I can. I check my head toward the ready room. Blip. Shanta says, sir, if it's all right with you, I need to go speak to Chief Tech before we disembark. The a friend of his has been blowing up communications and trying to get a hold of him. He's tried every single avenue, and I'm pretty sure Tech has received at least 10 of his messages. Anything we need to screen? And I almost subconsciously flick my eyes to Prawl. Prawl also flicks his eyes to Chanto, and Chanto goes, oh, no, sir. It's, it's, it's Dr. Maroney, sir. I'll meet you, dirt side. Hi, Captain. Attack. And as the captain exits into their ready room with Commander Exio in tow, you see 
Prawl tap a few buttons on the console, and the console goes half dark, and he goes, oh, wow. Wow. It's just you don't see the console dark very often, you know, because we're always flying. Symbolic. I like it. How do you feel? You feeling good? You feeling good? I'm talking to you. Yes, you. My best friend sits you across said, from you, you. You said Prawl. You, I think you, you meant Prawl. I said Prawl? And I was like, what is happening right now? I meant friend. <laughs> Sorry. Friend <laughs> got a new best that friend. That's what's up. Every now and then a confused GM will warp reality and you'll just see Prawl coming out of Vren and Vren coming out of Prawl. Put it down, Sam. Put it down. What is the special <laughs> button we found for Prawl turning off the... <laughs> I was really excited. I thought we were seeing a different side of Prawl for the first time in 11 yeah. months. It was the life forms data moment. Life forms. <laughs> no, but Vryn turns and looks at you and says, all right, I'm going to go get my stuff packed up. I'll let you know when that hockey game is happening. Okay, great. Um, can we also get an extra ticket for uh, Asmi? Yeah. Oh, it yeah. shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Anybody else want to go to the hockey game? This is this is a general invite. I don't do these often, but seeing as Ren has volunteered us, I guess I'm doing this now. Anybody I mean, else? I'm not interested in hockey, but I was wondering um, if you wanted to come and be surprised by my parents before you head to your game. Oh yeah, uh, Jane. Do you want? Oh to, yeah. Uh, and then and then uh like uh Olin stands with her chair and moves a little bit closer to Jane and kind of leans in and says. You can bring Asmi if you want to. I would, I, I think that she would be delighted by the offer, but I am a little selfish and want your parents to myself right now. Well, you have and to fight me for them. I will, but I think you might also have to fight Ren because I think he thinks he's coming along too. I mean, Ren can go wherever he likes. I don't mind. I, I have a feeling that the moment he meets my parents, he'll be immediately overwhelmed. So that is very true. Um, yeah, I just I I uh, I never um, I, I have to do one thing real quick, but then I'm I'm more than happy to meet your parents. All right, I'll um, I'll let you know when I'm on my way over. Perfect. And Olin <sighs> is going to exit and head to the. Um, uh, head to their office to kind of start straightening things out, making it look nice. You know, the panicked rush of cleaning things up before, you know, your parents have to see your bedroom kind of thing. Um, yeah. All right. In the ready room. I tap the ring onto the table with that weird little click click that rings make when you put them down. Mm -hmm. We haven't actually talked about any kind of Plan. Are you going to see her? Do you need backup? The answer is probably yes. And probably yes. At least in the emotional sense. I do plan on confronting her, but I would like to also find some joy before that. Not in the hockey game sense, though. Maybe an opera or something. You know, in the middle of the park is the San Francisco Lyric Opera Theater. 
It's a tiny little thing. Uh, that sounds. But it nice. gets good sound. It doesn't get. It doesn't get swallowed up by by a big hall. I think tiny and loud sounds is perfect. I'll check with Shanta to see if there's something on. Thank you. Of course. <clears throat> How are you doing? I think Lieutenant Lucat, Lieutenant Lucat has rubbed off on me, and I'm betting the odds of when I confront Dr. Redgrave, so whether or not a time kid is going to show up and kerfluff everything. It's been a while. She's definitely rubbing off on you if you're using technical terms like kerfluff. I barely follow you with this kind of technical language, honestly. <laughs> We're off duty almost. I'm allowed to start using colorful language. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, <laughs> keep saturation to a minimum. <laughs> Can do. Are you excited to be home, Captain? And having walked to the door, paused. I'm a captain. I have a lot of business to take care of. Remember, colorful language is allowed. I'm very happy to see people like the Ambassador and Lieutenant Lacat visiting their families while they're back here. Shall we? Okay. Down in main engineering. The engineering crew is currently going through final checks as the warp core is being powered down. Hmm. That great column of humming blue, the beating heart of the ship. One of two. Oh my god, it just occurred to me. The Ross is a Time Lord. Oop, you said it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That column of blue that's pulsing at the center of the Ross. You see Dari is across from you and saying, safety protocols are in place. Antimatter disbursement chamber is at full capacity. We are ready to shut down the core. Execute shutdown procedures. You see that glowing ambient blue suddenly turn to that shade of dark as the core goes to sleep. Secondary core, you have confirmation on deactivation and you hear secondary warp core in the saucer section say, copy that chief tech, secondary core coming offline now. And you see all the reds turn green as it confirms secondary warp core is now offline. This is Chief Tech Linatus. The USS Ross is fully docked and the warp engines are offline. Thank you very much for your hard work, everybody. That was the smoothest docking yet. That gets a cheer from the entire engineering compartment. (laughs) Everyone who's pleased to be back at Starfleet, everyone's pleased to be home, but there's also like the... The energy that you just pumped into the into the engineering compartment is everyone's cheering as the Ross gets to sleep a little bit. Mm. Um, 
Dari looks at you and you see a rare smile on Dari's face as she logs out of her due station and sits back just as the turbo lift doors open and Shanto steps out. The yeoman approaches you, moves past a few people that are like giving each other high fives and hugging it out. Um, slipping through some of the ox crew, she moves over to you and says, Sir, I'm, so- I'm sorry, Chief Tech, I have a-, a message from you. I think you've probably been getting a lot of these. Oh, Just you're here to celebrate. Uh, hands it to you. Oh, okay. It is indeed like the sixth message you've gotten from DeBolch Maroney, the one of the chief designers of the USS Ross. Mm-hmm. Requesting a bit of your time, something about upgrades that are being done to the Ross while she's sleeping. I have a feeling, and this is directly to Asmi, that Dr. Maroney might not be a fan of some of the requests that we have been put in uh, as upgrades for the Ross. So if you could diplomatically or legally just um, let them know that it is my job and not his so he could back up and back off. You want that me to- it's Tellerite. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what you're asking me, sir. You want Also, me to- I'm free at 0800 uh, tomorrow. I'll let him know. Yeah. I've said into the data pad. <laughs> uh, make sure that first part gets in there. It's important. To back off. Yes, sir. And, yeah. And that you're available at 0800 tomorrow. Right. And I'm in charge. Okay. I'll make sure he gets that. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. And with that, she nods to Dari and heads to the turbo lift. McCrell, your medical staff... Same thing. The bio beds are being powered down. Uh, sick bay is going into standby right now. All of the sick bays on board the Ross are reporting in standby. You're in main sick bay right now, but across the decks, uh, the Ross is essentially uh, sick bay two and three on decks twenty and thirty-one. All report that they're going into standby mode. Excellent. Um, one of your nurses approaches and hands you a stack of data pads and. You were just getting all of this paperwork that has been piled up. Um, it's all just procedural stuff, turning in like medical records to Star Starfleet, uh, letting people know what babies were born while you were out in space. Uh, conf- what's who had a sprained so ankle? Many, like what so is the many babies. The crew? That kind of thing. Um, you get a baby. You get the baby. You yeah. get the baby. The uh, doors to sick bay open up as Prawl steps in and walks around a few of the medical personnel as he approaches and leans into your office. Doesn't step all the way in, but you see the uh, Trill lean into the doorway and say, hey, Doc, do you have any free time later tonight? Because there seems to be some kind of excursion taking place involving a sport here on Earth. Is it hockey? Yeah, you know about that? Yes. I tried to pretend like I knew what they were talking about. I've never seen a hockey game in my life. And I was wondering if you wanted to uh, to join us, because it seems like LaCat doesn't know what it is either. I've only seen it once, but it was glorious. I would love to go, yes. Oh. I don't understand the game, but there was a lot of uh, back and forth with a little thing that would, would go very fast. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I got that too. I don't and, know why. And, and fighting. It has something to do with ice, and you know how Andorians are with their ice. Yes. So I'll, I'll get, make sure that Varen transmits the information to you. 
I'll make sure to dress warm. That was a joke. <laughs> he just doesn't say anything to that. He just steps out of sick bed. One um, day he will laugh at my joke. <laughs> hey, got kind of a snicker from him just then. <laughs> yeah, he was either a snicker or a sneeze. Mm. I should probably give him a test. Um, as uh, and ambassador, what do you you went you go back to your yeah? So I mean, the thing about you, ambassador, is Olin. You, if I remember correctly, you're pretty meticulous about keeping your workspace presentable in case you have to have a delegation immediately transport into your office. So you're right. kind of deflated to find that oh, I, got, I have to organize, I have to organize. And when you step into your office on the promenade deck, you look around and see this spotless, well organized office and realize, shit. <laughs> ah, uh, so, so I, I am actually going to infuse a little bit of myself into Olin here in this moment in that their workspace is always impeccably clean. Like they keep their workspace pristine. Uh, so as they walk into their workspace and remember, oh yeah, I actually always do a good job of keeping the space clean. What else can I attempt to clean for my parents? And then they think of their quarters and then go, oh no. <laughs> around and right. start book like not booking it because you know ambassador i never run i walk briskly um they start walking briskly back to their quarters because like th there might be some issues there that need to be taken care of they're okay. an emotional creature uh yeah all right they're good at comp compartmentalizing like this is my workspace i keep this clean this is not my workspace. I don't give a. I don't care. Yeah, 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 so. yeah. Exactly. No one's professionally seeing my bedroom. Damn it! I don't have to worry about this right now. But, but now my parents like, oh, are going to be here. Are coming over. <laughs> They're going to want to see everything. Um. All right. Unless there's anything else, we can skip ahead to the scene where people are transporting onto Starbase One. As y'all are arriving at Starbase One, there is no formal, like, welcoming committee. No admiral here to, re to, to meet you. This is the busiest Starbase in all of Starfleet. There are many starships that are arriving from being months and months away from home, much like the USS Ross. So what you find is you are in a giant echo chamber of Starfleet personnel that are constantly arriving and departing. Um, people having long conversations, people uh, rushing to get to their meeting spots before they're transported to wherever they need to go, shuttles arriving and departing. It's Think of it as a Star Trek airport, but essentially a giant city in space designed for it. It is also the hub of Starfleet Communications and Defense here in Sector 01. 001. So arriving at Starbase One, for those of you who had that experience, this is very familiar because in so many ways, it reminds you of what it was like when you were cadets and you first stepped onto the decks of Starbase One. It hasn't changed at all. Some of the decor, of course, and more holographic technology has been implemented here at Starbase One significantly, as has some of the automated help that's been activated around here. And the diversity of species that are coming through Starbase One has increased with the sounds, the urgency, the energy, the views, the starships outside the window, the sunrises and sets, the view of Luna, everything is just as absolutely epically magical as you remember it the very first time you stepped foot on this starbase, right when you became a fresh young Starfleet officer. It's home. 
and there's an energy coursing through here. Some of it's energy of people who are getting ready to depart out into the stars, and some of it are people who are coming back home for the first time, like you, in almost a year of being out amongst the stars. Either way, this place is the great crossroads of the United Federation of Planets, and the energy through the concourse as y'all are arriving is electric. People are nodding, and uh, as they're making their way, sir, as they're making their way past you, if they have to squeeze past, um, it is, it's been a while since you have all been amongst this many Starfleet personnel that kind of had the same energy that the Ross kind of has every day, <laughs> except for this is home base. The main promenade of Starbase One is too large to be a single room. This is a city in space. So y'all are in multiple gated promenade areas as you exit the main concourse from Transporter Pad 7. Docking Bay 4, which is where the Ross is currently docked, is on the other side of the promenade. This is how things are being organized today. So as y'all beam onto Concourse 7, um, you are at the side of the space station that is facing out towards Luna. And it's a beautiful sight. You now have free reign. You don't technically have to report to Starfleet Command until tomorrow to get the updates on the upgrades to the Ross that you have sent in for the request. Um, you're also Captain Sol and Exio, just to give the command staff an idea of what y'all are having to put up with. Um, tomorrow there is a meeting uh, dictating, like basically answering the request that you put in, Captain, um, about some of the upgrades to the Ross. On your data pad that has been supplied to you both by uh, Chantel, um, the yeoman has put there that Dr. DeBulch has also requested to be available at that meeting. Um, and so you can look forward to DeBulch is, I'm sorry, his name, I keep mispronouncing it, but just so I get this right once and for all, it's DeBulch. D-E-B-L-U-C-H. It's DeBlutch Maroney. It sounds, it's got to sound more ridiculous or it doesn't work. It's DeBlutch. <laughs> um, that's, that's my, <laughs> that's my thank you to Thomas who designed the USS Ross Horse. You are DeBlutch Maroney <laughs> in Star Trek. Um, as of right now though, both Ox crew, command crew, and senior staff all have free reign until 0800 tomorrow morning. Welcome home. Enjoy the hockey game, Asmi. What's that? I said, enjoy the hockey game, Asmi. Yeah, Asmi Shanta goes, yeah, hockey. I, I'm, I'm actually not that familiar with Earth sports, but this one seems to have really caught on. So I'm really curious about this. At about that point, as she is saying that over her shoulder, XEO, you can see one of the Federation's most most meritous ambassadors approaching. This is Ambassador Daro Majanil, accompanied by his wife. And they are both looking quite statesmanly. You can see the similarities automatically. Um, the refinement, the way they carry themselves. Um, he is clearly a man of stature and of nobility as he is making his way through the concourse it's it's there's no it's already kind of defaulted that when deltons move people tend to see it 
think of it like for those of you who may not be familiar deltans tend to be very striking uh members members of the delton race are very striking people tend to notice them when they're in the room think of it like a pair of toreadors entering with awe <laughs> with presence one constantly going <laughs> it's kind of the same effect these two um entering into the main concourse are getting some looks but you kind of are like ah yeah those are definitely Majanils right there. <laughs> I've, I've, I've done quite extensive research on um, on Daro um, at the time, so I know quite a lot about his career and his accomplishments and his mm -hmm. classifieds. <laughs> yeah, Daro has a storied career. He even yeah. um, spent uh, a good portion of his youth studying under uh, Ambassador Sarek, who is one of the legendary ambassadors of the Federation. And for those who don't know, father to one Commander yeah. Spock. His presence matches his very impressive resume of life. He is approaching and his eyes are searching the crowd. His impressive height as he's kind of looking over the heads of some of the other people that are passing through the Concords. But you see the restraint on his face as he's trying to maintain sort of an air of dignity is not entirely capable of doing so as his face kind of lights up at the sight of Olin as you're all stepping onto the concourse. There's that brief, you can detect it, Exio, being somebody who can read body language so expertly well. There's that slight flutter of the eyelids that raises just a centimeter too quick to just be not surprised and happiness that slight raise of the brow, even though he has no eyebrows, he just kind of like the expression on his face changes a little bit as he spots Olin and begins to approach. So, you know that moment when you haven't seen your parents in a while and it's almost like you revert? Like there's this <laughs> moment of reversion that happens. Mm -hmm. uh, Olin sees their parents. There's this look that passes over their face and like they don't even hesitate to race towards their parents throw themselves at their father and immediately begin weeping <laughs> okay um this emotional release as you throw your arms around your father um there is a brief second of of an attempt to remain sort of like noble and dignified as this happens. But you see Olin's father press that smile against the side of his face as he lowers his head and puts his arms around his child. And you see a family reunited after a year in space, after almost a year in space. And you hear Vren just go, man, that entire family has just got style, don't they? It's like all of them, they just got style. It's, it's not me, right? I can see. It. I mean, no, it's, it's actually unnatural. I'm. I, I don't know what's happening. It's unfair, really. Oh, yeah. And then, and then over the crowd, you go. You hear Jane, get over here. And you uh, see Brent look at you, Jane, go like, "Have you ever heard them talk like that?" And kind of gives you this <laughs> look. And um, Shanto yeah. gently nudges you forward. Great. Um, yeah, Jane. Jane. Uh, I wouldn't say she. Uh, she. She's not hesitant at all. I think that like um, Darrow and uh, remind me your mother's name as well, 
Or you're just Darrow's the only one here. It, it, so, it, no, Darrow, Darrow and, and Mom are here, but I, I will admit I need to... Uh, I can answer double. this. Thank you. Amazing. It's so, been a while so a since while I've had back. the chance to call my mother by their name, by her name. So, funny, funny story. When, when, when we first created the background for Olin. Oh, right, right, right. I had to change her name. Olin, <laughs> Aki, without having any knowledge of this, named their mother Sila. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I had completely forgotten that Sila was a thing. Right, exactly. So we, so when I brought that up, it is was it like- Is it Salar? It's Salar. It's Salar. Uh, oh, yeah. Salar. It's Salar. Renamed, Salar. We renamed the mother Salar, so Salar. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jane, Jane is, uh, Jane's not hesitant at all. Like, Daryl and Salar have always, like, treated her like their own kid, and, like, she is so thankful for that. So if anything, there's, it's, it's more, it's, it's the, I mean, actually, I, I don't know, like, I, so like I was adopted for a part of my life, right? And like so the way that I treated like my adoptive parents was very like I like I knew that they like saw me as a child, but I was still like kind of restrained and I was like, I wanna be on my best behavior for you. And I think that like Jane is similar in that way. And mm -hmm. so like she's she's gonna be like so excited to see them, but it's but I think that she's still gonna like have a level of like uh, professionalism. So it's like Daro, it's so good to see you. Uh, Darrow's eyes light up when he spots you, Jane, and he squeezes your ar your shoulders for a second, Olin, and glances down at you and says, Jane LeCat, you look well. You look very well. Olin. I mean, now, 11 mm -hmm. months of space. I'm sure Olin has filled you in on all the details. It's only made me look younger. Hmm. I'm pleased to see that you've kept my... Uh, ambassador safe while they travel the stars i mean your ambassador helped me through a few rough spots as well i uh but uh i'm very excited for the tour of the ross that we're going to get today especially of their dorm um which i'm sure is in pristine condition here comes the bus <laughs> the cat there goes olin under the bus Going over. As you can see, Papa, not much has changed. Mm. Um, yes, but I need to actually go to San Francisco before before the tour, so I I might be joining a little late. Of course, that's all right. I I think that the first thing that should be done is um, would you like to meet the command staff? I would find that very agreeable. Yes. I've um, been hello, Mama. Captain Sol for some time now. And you, Mama, are you interested? She glances at your father for a moment and says, Is it true your commanding officer is a hologram? I've kind of forgotten that she is, to be perfectly honest. I would love to meet her if that's possible. She loves to meet people. If there's anything that she... Uh, enjoys more. I'm not entirely sure what it is, aside from sitting on the outside of our ship. That is a story I would like to hear. He oh, I'm sure she has plenty. <laughs> but yes, if you'd like to meet the staff, I, uh, they're all over there. Um, it's really good to see you and feel you. Uh, and, and, and almost suddenly realizing that they can they like just there's that moment of code switching that happens and they stop talking out loud 
<laughs> okay. Um, um, this warm smile on your father's face as he looks down on you, and you can feel that warmth. <laughs> your mother is looking around now, trying to see if she can identify the hologram in the room, <laughs> like she could somehow spot something that might be a little different yeah. than everybody else. But it's with this sort of childlike, playful curiosity of she's looking back around the corners. Um, and and telepathically, because they can mm-hmm. with their parents, the, they say, you'll never guess to their mother. Like, um, but uh, I'll give you a hint. Uh, the most exuberant person in the room is my commander. She smiles at you. And, and you'll be able to feel her, which is the even more dif- uh, amazing thing. Once upon a time, she would have been very easy to pick out in a crowd. You can't do that anymore. Your mother seems quite mystified by this, and she looks up at your father and then back to you and says, Are you, you can hear her voice in your mind say, do you mean to say that she's emotional? And that I could sense her emotions? That's 100% what I mean. And, and I again, was there the very first time she, that happened. She glances up at your father again, and your father nods like he's slowly realizing this himself and hearing it for the first time. And uh, you see he looks at you and says, we should also discuss some of the conversations that have been happening in the diplomatic course since you've been gone. Oh, did you have to turn it into a work thing, Papa? She, your mother immediately says, I've made him promise that it would not be. And besides, this is your father's final week in the Corps. Of course. Then I think we must absolutely talk about that. Um, uh, but in the meantime, uh, come on, Staff. Uh, let's, uh, let's meet uh, the folks, shall we? Um... It's 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 interesting, Lacat, because only half of that conversation was actually audible to you. <laughs> you just saw them staring at each other, nodding, and having you're like, ah, yes, you've seen you've seen the Majanils do this before. They yeah, this is <laughs> so yeah. She she just through it. She she doesn't mind. Um, so. Olin's mother immediately seizes you by the arm and gently pulls you to her side and says, I want to hear about your journeys in the Shackleton Expanse. Tell me everything. I understand that you discovered an entirely new species of, what was it? Plant life on some alien planet with plants? She's also got a girlfriend. <clears throat> oh, and- there's that bus coming back for Jane. <laughs> You hear that beep, beep. <laughs> the bus. One hundred percent siblings. Yeah, I, uh, I would love to tell you all about uh, my discoveries in the Shackleton Expanse, and um, she is glaring at uh, Olin uh, at this moment. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I should really leave you to the tour of that room. Right. <laughs> um. Oh man. Um. At that point, Olin's father speaks up as you're approaching the command staff, speaks up and says, as empaths, we are both aware of the war the two of you are waging right now. Great, then you'll know that I'm winning. (laughs) I'm pleased to see the Shackleton has not changed you. 
It hasn't. And it it really hasn't. If anything, we've discovered not just one species, but so many species. And and I your your tour is gonna start without me because like I said, I'll be late. But please let me show you the bio labs at some point. I will all right. I will not I will not go anywhere near the science section of the ship. That's all yours. Perfect. That is about the point with command staff where y'all are getting ready to break apart into your, into your respective like destinations, McCrell and Tech and Exio and Sull. Uh, when you see approaching is Olin with Lacat and what appears to be Olin's parents. Now, a quick reminder, Olin's father, Daro, is a famous ambassador of the United Federation of Planets. Um, he is something of a celebrity within Starfleet, low-key celebrity. So as he is approaching, uh, friend goes, oh, shit. <laughs> he just kind of mutters that off to the side. Be, be cool, be cool. Cool. And they approach. They step forward. Captain, Captain heat, Lieutenant. Yes. Ambassador. If ambassador. you Ambassador. And also <laughs> ambassador. Uh, Allow me to introduce my parents, Ambassador Dara Marjanil and Ambassador Solar Marjanil. Uh, Captain, he extends his hand to you. It's a, it's a firm, pleasant grip as he looks you in the eye and says, it is a genuine privilege to meet you. I'm very happy to meet the people who produced such a fine person. Olin has been such a service for our ship. We're ever so thankful for them. Perhaps you have a future in the Diplomatic Corps, Captain. Oh, please don't threaten me upon first meeting. <laughs> <laughs> this is my commander, Exio. <laughs> commander Exio. Pleasure. Hello. My wife has so been looking forward to meeting you. Ah, and so those were the looks. Hello. She looks wide-eyed again at you, Olin, and back to you, Exio, and says, Hello, it is, it's such a treat to meet you. And she extends her hand. I, I already had it extended. Usually when someone's been looking for me, a good old handshake is in order. Deltons, you know, because of the unfortunate attention that they attract from other species, tend to be very reserved in public. Deltons by default tend to carry themselves very similar to how Vulcans carry themselves. It's only when they're around other Deltons or around family when they kind of let the guard down and be who they are. It's saying quite a bit to you, Exio, that Olin's mother is just brimming with enthusiasm as she shakes your hand. She says, the pheromones are probably off the charts <laughs> to anyone who can perceive them. <laughs> yes, the dopamine is hitting pretty hard, and she is like really you, the excitement is is palpable as she shakes your hand, particularly because you can sense it too, Olin. She's realizing that she is sensing the enthusiasm from Exio, and she's shaking her head. She's like, "You are magnificent, aren't you?" I'm. Um, forgive me. I am so sorry. I. <sighs> That was such a rude thing to just come out and say. It is a pleasure to meet you. There's nothing wrong with saying what is absolutely true about our Exio, Mama. She is magnificent. Thank you. Well, um, as this meeting moves forward, what is everyone else doing? 
Yeah, Olin's just introducing everybody to their parents. They're just very yeah. excited that their mom and dad are here. I'm, I'm just going to quickly say to them, um, I am pleased to say that our ambassador stays out of trouble and is very rarely in the sick bay. Thinking that they would appreciate that, <laughs> but obviously McCrell doesn't know what to say. Vryn pipes up and goes, and they were great when they became a column of light and helped us all get pulled out of a dream. Okay, we, um... Yes, they, they were in the sick bay after that, as, as I'm being pulled away. Oh, no. Yes, but Vryn chimes in, making it worse, and says, yes, but they were cured very quickly. Because... Yes, and only because I had to give them a, you know, uh, Ren, let's go get ready for that hockey game. Yeah, Ren, we should go for the hockey game. I need to go down to San Francisco as well. Do you want to travel together? Oh, man. And with that, he turns. Great. <laughs> and then I'm just gonna really quickly, like, very oh, rarely in the sick bay. Very, like, very. Um, so Vryn stomps off, and uh, Shanto just says, "It was really lovely to meet all of you," and and uh, slips away, uh, chasing after Jane before she even gets really much of a chance to say hello to everybody. Um, and I'll just be like, "Chief, are you hungry?" Ah, <laughs> uh, actually, I wanted to talk to the commander. Uh, and he'll go over to uh, Exio. Okay, so we'll see. Going to the hockey game, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll see that we're in that. We're sort of that. That. Uh, that. <laughs> I keep wanting to use Comic Con as an example. <laughs> we're in that period where like friends have met up in the middle of a crowd. Yeah. And now, like, Wait, like, what do I do? I'm gonna go on the floor for five hours. I'm gonna go sit in line and all age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we're at that phase where friends who have crossed paths and formed into a single group are now breaking away into other groups mm -hmm. and going to check in with each other later as they go off on their thing. So you managed to pull Exio. I have a aside. panel. Yeah. <laughs> got a panel? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you pull Exio aside, Chief. Uh, Commander, if you've got a minute or two, I've been working on some of your uh, your food memory engrams, and I have one that I wanted you to try out. I would love to. Do you have a uh, specific food that you've attached it to? Because I'm going to the opera tonight and I don't actually know if they serve food there. Oh, well, um, this one, it might be a little bit different. And Tech is gonna look around for one of the holographic generators that they've installed. Mm -hmm. There are uh, plenty of them. yes. And he's going to go over and input one of his programs. And you can see as he holds out his hand, uh, it manifests as like a, it looks like the consistency of a marshmallow, but it's like lime green and shaped like a mushroom. Uh, and it's about this big and it just sits in his hand. And he says, I, I was tinkering around with some of the specific memory engrams. I wanted to see if this would work. And he hands it to you. What's different about this one, Chief? Well, it's sort of interdimensional and so cute <laughs> I improvised one go or is this a nibble situation oh well it's it'll activate uh, one of your memories so however you like to enjoy and as you take a bite you can see that it's actually accessing the memory engram of when we were in the mycelial network this is going back to like these doorways between dimensions in this trippy field that uh, it just seems like the, the possibilities are endless. You made Jenny cake. Right. I made Quite, Jenny cake. <laughs> Quite through the looking glass, Chief Tech. 
Ginny shrooms. <laughs> Here's the thing. I've been a little bit obsessed over this. The existence of the mycelial network and us being able to travel there. Everything that happened. Chief, Chief maybe a little quieter. We're quite in public. Ah. <laughs> right. Well, anyway, all of that to say, the possibility of doorways to other dimensions it's something that's possible. I've seen it. Yes, and also highly restricted. If we could study it a little further, who knows what doors we could open? Literally. Yes, but remember, sometimes doors swing both ways, as we have learned, Chief. I when just you let everyone know where a door is. Everyone's going to want to walk through it. But who are we to say no? Just some thought. Just some food for thought. I understand. It is a complicated subject, but I will remind you that the person living there, the beings that inhabit that space, did not want visitors. Yes, I understand that. I can't help but draw the comparisons between our experience there and what was happening within the amulet. It's all connected somehow, these other dimensions. There were existences of people. They had feelings and thoughts that didn't belong to them when they were alive. And they existed in this space. Maybe we could, I'm just saying there are a lot of possibilities. Indeed. I do encourage you to explore them, but as theories for now. Understood, Commander. Thank you, Exio. Enjoy your time. You too. Are you going to the hockey game? I'm not going to the hockey game. I don't think no, I would I don't it. think, no. I was going to heavily discourage it if you said yeah, yes. It's, it's very violent. Incredibly. Yeah, and I get Swedish. I don't imagine the food is up to your particular palate. Ooh, but the Starbase has a lot of interesting options. <laughs> Can I tempt you with some memories? If you co start collecting them, absolutely. We'll see what I can do. Great. I'm gonna tuck that bad boy somewhere on my not pocketed person. <laughs> I mean, it's not. Once you were given the data read on like an external. Do I, can, I, can I just like zoom it into my code for later? Literally, literally with that ring in place. Yeah. There's no reason in the world why, if coming across another hologram, you can simply upload it. That's true, because normally inventory item. Normally, you know what I mean? coded onto an actual physical thing rather yes. than a holo. That's great, great. Yeah. I, zoom, I zoom it into me. <laughs> <laughs> Get in my belly. <laughs> All right, so you basically absorb this programming into the ring for use later. Hi, Joey, <laughs> and. Uh, you, uh, you, yeah, this, this program that tech has given you, you can actually incorporate into the ring matrix itself. So you can carry this around. It is essentially like being given 
an inventory item, a holographic inventory item, which you can access when you want later. Dope. So, yeah. Uh, um, that's gonna that that that's gonna open a fun can of worms for later. I want so many, just like <laughs> you're like I'm just gonna fill items. my pocket with holographic geese. Dude. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get a flock of these motherfuckers and put them in. <laughs> Tech. Motherfuckers, thank I you. Whoosh out of me. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> your arms like the Prince video and Dove's ah! Cry. Like, yeah, except for their geese. Um, mm. All right. All right. So we're at that stage now, the crossroads moment where everyone has gathered and disembarked from the USS Ross. Who would like to do what? You now have free reign until 0800 hours tomorrow. So right now, all of you, you can... You can engage at any level you want. You can head to Earth. You can check out the Starbase if you have an objective that you'd like to achieve before tomorrow morning at 0800 hours. Um, I will tell you, Tech, you do have one particular Tellarite that's already blowing up your communicator, wanting to get a piece of your time. He can't wait, huh? No, he's kind of asking for it right now. Apparently got the message uh, that he could meet you tomorrow at 0800, but mm -hmm. he doesn't seem to be very satisfied with that. If so there's a scheduled meeting out. and everything. I know. <laughs> Uh, okay, so looking over all of my communications, uh, he sort of glances over and, and uh, taps on his badge. Chief Tech to Captain Saul. This is Captain Saul. Captain, I know that we just uh, we just disembarked, but um, Dr. DeBletch Maroney wants to speak with me. And I know it's going to be in protest to some of these things that we want to add to the Ross and interference I... in coming on my way. Thank you, Esri. <laughs> I quickly, I think before I parse that that is the sentence that just happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already putting my hand out to Commander Axio saying, you find a place for us maybe to get something to eat for the opera? Um, I have to go do this. Will rendezvous? Good luck. This is two meetings in a row with Mulroney. <laughs> you know, if I can survive wartime intelligence, I might yet make it through this. One can only hope. Spaghetti? Or I'll die gloriously. Mm. Oh, spaghetti sounds lovely. Yes, perfect. Don't die before then. Noodles. Oh, Flitter away! <laughs> <laughs> um, right. I'm gonna go back up my engineer. Okay. Do you agree to... Okay, so what, are you guys agreeing to meet DeBludge? Yeah. Wherever okay. he wants, he can set whatever. <laughs> All right, one second. I'm just going to cross-reference to make sure I get this right. Yep. Y'all are going to meet at Club 47. Oh, ooh, okay. I see your Club number. 47 is located here on Starbase 1. Mm -hmm. If y'all aren't familiar with it, I would remind you that even though, yes, it makes an appearance in Star Trek Online, it is also where we held one of our final scenes in Shield of Tomorrow. Um, oh, yeah. when everyone reunited. 
So Club 47 right now, as as always, because it is on the 24-hour clock, it is always available to people who want to dance their hearts out, but also have dinner or who want to just show up and socialize. Uh, Deblutch agrees to meet you at start at uh, Club 47. When you show up, um, the holographic server at the front nods to all of you and says, ah, you are Commander, no, Chief Tech. Is that correct? That is correct, of the USS Rock. Welcome, welcome. There is a Tellarite named Dr. Deblutch Moroni who has requested that I send you to his table once you arrive. Oh, you requested that, huh? You must be Captain Azari Sol as you approach Captain Sol. Well recognized. Please follow me. I will show you to the table. You're led past the dance floor. I'll go. As you're led past the main dance floor, it is it is it is a rave, a team rave, uh, kind of just like everyone dancing, everyone having a good time. Um, you see cadets are out on the dance floor, probably dancing uh-huh. their hearts out before their graduation ceremonies or their first training cruises. Um, there are species from all across the Federation, a couple of senior officers that are dancing on the floor right now. This is a place where a lot of officers like to unwind. But you're taken to the officer's lounge, which is one floor up. It's a lot quieter up here, but there's dinner tables and dining and servers moving about with drinks. You were led to a table where you see the Tellarite with a stack of data pads in front of him. He's in a full white engineer's uniform as somebody who has a ship designer. So he looks more like he's wearing a business style Federation suit. And when he sees you all approaching, the Tellarite sees you and goes, oh, ho, 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 and he stands up as he sees the two of you approach and he throws his arms open and grabs your hand before you have a chance to do anything with it. <laughs> and shakes your hand and goes, how are you, boy? How are you? I'm not a boy. I am the chief engineer. Good, good, was... good, good. And how are you, Captain Sol? Hard at work ruining your ship, of course. Excellent. Yes. Uh, sit down, sit down. Uh, I have been trying to reach you because I made some last-minute requests that Starfleet is stonewalling me on. And, yes, I, uh, and I can I'm get your s- authorization. We can move forward with this right away. I'm going to stop you right there, Doctor. I-, I need you to know that there are channels of communication that you can go through. And if you cannot reach me through those channels, you no. do not use your personal connection with me to offer your agenda. Is that clear? I outrank you, son. Noted. That's so, why I'm here. Here's what I've got. <laughs> What'd you say? That's why I'm here. <laughs> Oh, it's a bonus that you're here, Captain, because mm. what I've got to tell you is going to make you a very happy Orion. You see him press a couple of buttons on the data pad, and he says, look at that, and say, thank you, Dr. DeBlutch. Hands you both two data pads. You see Ooh. schematics of USS Ross, and you see, as you're handed this, an animation begins to play immediately, <clears throat> where you see... Uh, an EPS network upgrade being installed on the Ross where it shows center points and distribution networks that are being added. And he says, I solved the EPS problems for the USS Ross, for both of them, of course. No more maintenance on those damn conduits. How do you get them to work in tandem? Well, let's just say the Ross left space dock a little bit before she was a hundred percent, and I think we remember having that conversation. However, wasn't a problem. She had a good crew, so no one was worried about that, as they shouldn't have been, as we have seen. And he slaps the table and says, But in the meantime, I put my heads together. I'm not about to let 
the Ross just fly out incomplete. And we spent the past six months trying to figure out how to get that electric plasma distribution network to start functioning the way it should when it's that much antimatter power running through our system. So that's my solution right there. We didn't weep. That right there is a brand new circulatory system for the USS Ross. Completely solves the issues with the EPS conduits. Now, there is a trade-off. I knew it. There's always going to be a trade-off, son. Every time you add something new. I mean, the Ross is packed full of Mm -hmm. technology. She's bursting at the seams at this point. The fact, Captain, if I may be so bold, that you managed to convince Starfleet to put a new skin on her is beyond me. I don't even know how you can fit any more systems on board that ship, but I guess hull plating doesn't technically count, so well done, well done. But with this system in place, that secondary warp core is not just going to be a hood on it anymore. You're going to get the full use of regenerative power systems out of that secondary warp core the way she was meant to have. Here's the trade-off, though. He leans in close and looks very serious and says, the trade-off is, anytime you divert all power to a single system, you risk blowing up that system. And I don't mean blowing up like ship-wide destruction, anything like that, but you might have a sh- burnout. So for example, divert all power to phasers. Aye, Captain. Oops, phasers aren't working anymore. It requires six hours repair. It's mm. a risk. Mm. So you got to be careful how much power you're feeding into the Ross, because even though her warp core and her EPS conduits are mwah, the rest of her, is still yesterday's technology. So, balance that out. You got a hell of a circulatory system now. Lots <laughs> of power distribution. <laughs> yeah, I gotta hand it to you. This is genius. I, all right, real talk. You know how we've been getting around this? I didn't want to admit this to you. Uh, <clears throat> we've been dancing. That's You've the real dan- trade-off. They're not going to be dancing anymore. We won't need it. You've been dancing? You've been having your work shift cruise dance? It's a surprising morale booster. They've really gotten into the swing of things. <laughs> Would it blow your mind if I told you that's what I had my crews doing? No way. Yes. You had the yes. foxtrotting all over your engine room? Yes. Yes. What? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Something hey. about keeping everybody in sync. You know, Tech. We should have a dance, like a dance-off or something. We should do something like that while you're in dock. Floor's right there. At Club 47. At Club 47. I'm so in. I'm so in. I'm going to flag someone down. Okay. I want to make arrangements because I have four (laughs) pips and no sense of responsibility. (laughs) You're like, waiter? <laughs> I want spotlight. I want. Fuck, I want them now. Um, if this does not look like something out of a mu- movie musical in four minutes, so yes, essentially, what this means is moving forward. The USS Ross has always had the trait that any moment I could spin threat to cause her power systems to fluctuate and fail. Mm-hmm. Okay. The trade-off now is the only time her power systems will fluctuate is if power is having to be diverted to a specific single system. Okay. Which means... She's literally OP. 
Yes, mm. she is she is more stabilized right now. But it basically means if you divert all power to phasers, you run a risk of basically becoming like a giant gun in space for a split second before you lose all weapons, phaser weapons for a while. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you divert all power to engines and they blow, the Ross is going to require repair. It's it's one of these things where it's it runs the risk of being an all or nothing situation where if you mm. divert power to a single system, you run the risk of burning the system out. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. That means that what this means ultimately, though, is the parameters in which I can spend threat to throw a detriment at you guys have gotten smaller. So the Ross has been upgraded again. I appreciate it. So that's the new trait that's going to replace the old one. I can only spend threat to cause a complication on Ross moving forward if power has to be diverted in any specific way. And we can go into the details of what that means. That doesn't mean mm. feeding power into a system from the from the warp core or anything like that. Like if you're right. putting power into the shields, that doesn't count. Right, right, right. Yeah, I get it. Okay. So, yeah, Captain, you basically you both you both show up expecting the blutch to be like, "What the hell have you been doing to my ship?" And instead, what you get is this big upgrade that is going to increase the viability of the Ross. There is one downside. Uh, that has it, that he mentions now that the dance talk comes to him and he says, the reason why I needed to get this on your desk as quickly as possible is oh. because this is not a simple job. We're literally crawling into the guts of the Ross and enhancing the EPS conduits. Think of it like going into a body and replacing capillaries. So it's not going to be easy, which means I need to do this while they're working on the Ross's hull. Otherwise, I miss my window of opportunity. I need Azari Sull's authorization because now that you're a flagship, it means you actually get to make the call on what happens to the Ross. Enjoy the power, Captain. Enjoy the power. I do and misuse it constantly. <laughs> so will this require an extension over what we're doing with the hull plating? How long am I out of commission with my ship wide open to space? Well, Captain, the Ross is 663 meters, 4,409,558,000 metric tons of starship. That's a lot of skin to put our blade of coverings on. Means she's going to require a lot of time. Now, the good news is, did I say billion? I may have meant million. You see, he kind of susses that out in his head for a second. It doesn't matter. The point is... Maybe four weeks. On top of the plating? No, 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 no. It would have been on top of the plating if I hadn't gotten to you in time. See, they're going to start that. Red, they're going to start that upgrade tomorrow, hmm. because they need you all out in your assignment as quickly as possible. If I missed my window to start this tomorrow, then I we'd be looking at an extension, which means that we have to review these EPS conduit plans mm. in detail so that we know them well enough and I can mm. get my chief engineer to sign off on the authorization. Mm. Not that I don't thoroughly trust your engineer, no, Dr. No, no. Marani, but I would never trust anything on my ship, not for a moment, not for a single second. Trust doesn't make starships fly, as you know all too well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
I will so, take a look at this, and but over initial observation, everything seems to be working perfectly. I mean, I never thought about rerouting it in this way. I, I can run some trials on the holodeck. Uh, good, yeah, do that. Uh, you've got five hours. Okay. If I don't get this submitted to the shipyard in five hours, we're going to miss our window. I'm on it. I've got a... I've got to staff an entire work crew for the next four weeks to get in there. If I'm going to get the personnel and the time allotments and the authorization and the equipment, if I'm going to do all of that, I, I've got five hours before that. Doctor. Window so, mm -hmm. so, you know, read, 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 read. And unfortunately, you. the first part is going to be taken up by a dance off. I really do demand this. Oh, mm -hmm. well, we could do that at another time. I mean, this seems pretty substantive and the entire engineering crew is kind of exhausted at this moment so i don't think oh, we so it's just the two of you then oh no we need rehearsal hell i don't i'm freestyle you want to do this right now ah fine i'll this start looking over the plans <laughs> we're not even wasting any time this is what you brought me for see i come with engineering training so i can look over this too all right this is foresight chief Come on, blue boy. And he stands Don't up. Don't call me that. <laughs> um, God. <laughs> I just love the idea of you, Chief Tech, sitting at this table going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> just the expressionless scream, ah! <laughs> you pull a full Kevin McAllister at the table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so, so it, it, is, it is challenging to look over these schematics when there is an epic battle being waged over the spirit and, and vitality of the Federation. Everything that the Ross stands for is on the line. I'm pretty sure As this is a role. Your Bolian engineer takes to the <laughs> dance floor. A circle is formed as cadets begin to see these two powerhouses of the Federation <sighs> centering in Club 47. The music changes. The beat starts dropping. The house is pounding. It's alive. <laughs> and immediately, you watch this Tellarite use that magnificent jiggle of that great big belly as he pops it out and begins to robot right in front of you with Ooh. incredible skill. And just moving his arms and legs, he begins to like immediately your brain goes to a place of where did he have time to learn this mm -hmm. and build starships as he begins to immediately break out dance moves from like full on like body waving onto the floor and spinning around in a half break dance move to bringing himself back up. Like the Tellarite begins to cut loose and the two of you begin a dance off. I will say that as this is happening in front of Tech, he can almost match the stature. He's in his uniform, but he's got a gut as well. Uh, and as he's watching all of these fancy moves happen, his dancing was very cultural and uh, ballroomy. And so he starts going through the motions of very stately affairs and mm -hmm. turning around and fiddling with the, the conduits and going over here. And so 
while he has a larger form, it's very live. And it's interesting to see this body move in that way. That's very graceful. But totally does not mi- match any downbeats or anything that has been dropped. <laughs> yeah, because the Telluride, on the other hand, is very thunderous as he moves. <laughs> Lots of stomping and hard, sharp movements with his hips and with his elbows and with his head. Like, he is he is buff now. The two of you basically form the yin and yang on the dance floor. <laughs> it is destruction and creation spinning around each other <laughs> as, as people watch in awe as the Tellarite, as the Tellarite oh. shipbuilder and the bullying engineer. Is and you're taking over the data pad, Captain, at the surreal sight of two expert dancers totally tearing it up on the dance floor. Wait, but wait, is it being judged by audience applause? Ooh. How is, how Ooh. is it being judged? We should ask the Ox crew. <laughs> we can roll it. You want to roll it? I'll roll assist. It. Yeah. No, no, no assists. Aww. No assists. <clears throat> I'm his command officer. I'm here to back him. <laughs> Uh, yeah. What would right. this even be? Control? All right, make the roll. I'm going to... Okay, so this is going to be a present... Yeah, I would say this is a control... Uh, Technically, this is like control command. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, this is Not control greatest, command. Not my greatest, but whatever. <laughs> okay. Not his either. Two successes. The perfect number Ooh. for the chief engineer of the USS Ross. Two successes. How many? <gasps> Two. Tiger's pretty tie. active, but both of you are active. I th- I'm be happy with the draw. I think we have created. <laughs> yeah, it's it's 15 minutes of nonstop like, and at at one point the dance floor minutes. starts joining in. It's <laughs> a long time. <laughs> dance floor starts to join in. The entire place becomes like a just like a ruckus. <clears throat> um. We'll say it concludes after about 15 minutes of just because it starts off with a free form duel that becomes that becomes like a full on dance form rave that you and the Tellerite get swept into just the energy of the room and you forget to stop. Um, after about 15 minutes, the two of you are coming back over to the captain just these thick oh, boys yeah. have just been working their tails off on the dance floor. <laughs> they both come back over, and the Tellarite's laughing and goes, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you, Tech. I'm going to give that one to you. You, uh, deserve, no. you deserve that one. I've never seen ballet happen on the dance floor like that. You know what? You deserve you, that one. Listen to me, Doctor. You can contact me anytime that you want. You are great. You know. Yeah, I mean, I'm great, but that's how I know that you're great. <laughs> that's how this works. <laughs> so you the full arc of these twos they're they're knowing each other has has now reached a full circle of like <laughs> professional frustration anger rage respect and now That's did we just did. become best friends yeah, yeah. <laughs> seems like the two of you are all set here and i put down uh the pad and i just sort of tap tap Mm-hmm. I'll leave you to brief my chief on all of the details that are in here and help compile the report so we can make a meaningful decision. But I have a dinner to attend. Oh, excuse me. Thank you so much for coming, Captain. It, it means a lot to me. Thanks for running interference, Captain. I wasn't oh. sure if I was going to be able to handle tech. Well, 
I'm glad to see that you're up to it. You always were. Take a breather and go out again. Yeah, well, I gotta look over this. This is genius. And he picks up oh, the pad again. Yeah, that. Um, the two of you slide back into the booth um, and you head out. Now, you do have some time. So real quick, uh, we're gonna go ahead and take this as an opportunity. It's a good stopping point because it's 8.05. So why don't we go ahead and take our 10 minute break. And when we come back, we'll have the second part of essentially what is going to be the prologue to the next tour of duty for the USS Ross before leaving space dock. Um, Who so won the hockey game? I know we got a hockey game to go to. We have a, <laughs> we have, we have a, a full inspection of the Ross and we have a possible encounter with Exio's creator. If Is she going to the opera. No, but you said you might stop by and talk to her. So yes, but I did say after the opera. It's after the opera. Hmm. All right, don't go anywhere. We'll be back in 10 minutes. Welcome back to Clear Skies, everybody. We are at Earth Space Talk right now in the middle of what is going to be the beginning of the second chapter of the life of the USS Ross. Right now, we left off at a really fun moment <laughs> where we had a dance off between the bowling and the and uh, the, the, the Tellarite. Um, you know, I was thinking about this on the break. This is the second time I've created a Tellarite NPC that comes off like a gruff bastard who immediately breaks out some fucking moves. Yeah, <laughs> that's <dance>. true. <laughs> you have a type. <laughs> yep, I have a type. I have a type. I just, I like the old man Tellarite that suddenly just busts it out when it's time to do so. So, um, we'll go ahead and start things off. I'm going to open the floor here. So we had some, we had a couple of events that are now taking place as the crew of the USS Ross reintegrates for what's going to be sort of a long stay on Earth. There's going to be a bit of a time jump, but right now we're focusing on what the crew of the Ross is doing and its first few days back here on Earth after 11 months being away. This is night number one, and already activities have been planned. The energy of the crew is like, hell yeah, we're back on Earth. Let's go explore San Francisco at night. Let's see the nightlife. Let's go, like, let's go get it. Let's let's freaking have some shore leave. Let's head up a bar. Let's go see the opera. Let's let's do what we gotta do. Um, you've already hit up a bar, Captain Sol. You went to Club Forty Seven. It totally counts. Oh yeah, it's the bar I'm objecting to. Yeah, do <laughs> not call shore leave. Word. Don't call it shore leave. We're just calling shore leave. We are no. at liberty. Who's getting drunk? It's the exact same thing that you know. <laughs> All right. So. Who's eating an egg that's actually living? Come on. Fess I'm going to go ahead. Who's going to get, yeah. Who's getting, who's getting tossed? Uh, Vryn fully intends on getting drunk at the hockey game. Um, let's go ahead and ask this. Before we get to the hockey game, though, I'd like to know more about the opera that Exio and Sol are going to go check out. This was on Sol's recommendation. I have consumed a lot of media, but I have not seen it. So this should be interesting. Okay. Wait, what is Exio wearing? Oh. Hoppers are fancy. Ooh, okay. Um, hair, full slicked back, tight against the head. With like the little, like like, full like gelled back ducktail back there, um, and for outfit, I would say full long sleeve, like from almost like cuffing the hand, 
um, and all the way down to the floor as well. And it's, let's see, like a deep navy blue um, kind of velvety texture. Because it's San Francisco and people get cold, I guess. So I want to look the part. We do. Uh, Sol is wearing a, a dress uniform, alas. Uh, it's my first opera. I've got the a The beauty of up. this, the beauty of this, by the way, is being that it's Earth in the 24th century, you get to attend opera in Paris um, because it is literally a transporter beam away. So instead of going to the San Francisco Opera, you're going to the Paris Opera House that has been fully restored and maintained in this century. Um, it would seem being... the one close by was sold out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is technically close by. Um, it's an easy beam to and beam back to San Francisco off the main pad. But think of it like this. In every city on Earth, there are transporter stations that functions much like old airports used to function, where you can simply step in and enter a destination so that people have meeting points to go to and back from and people can, who are living in say, you know, New York City, who want to spend some time in Honolulu for the night, can beam over there. Man. Don't make it sad. Don't make it sad. Keep going, keep going. Steamroll. Sorry, keep it's on. just, I'm. It's sometimes fantasy in, in, in a pandemic environment, like, damn it. Okay, <clears throat> anyway, so. You can, of course, beam straight to the Paris Opera House to enjoy this. This is this is a full recreation of the original Paris Opera House. It was unfortunately destroyed in World War III. However, it is today the most accurate representation of what the old Paris Opera House used to look like. And so beaming straight to Paris, France, the two of you find yourselves in front of this grand, stunning, beautiful building if you all have the opportunity to google it i highly recommend it will blow your damn mind and uh you are would you like to tell us captain soul what it is that y'all are seeing oh yes uh we're going to le nozze di figaro uh wherein the count attempts to exercise droit de seigneur on the night before susanna and figaro's wedding and rather than let any such kind of nonsense interfere with such a professional relationship. Instead, the servants team up with the scorned Countess Almaviva to ensure that farce ensues. All right. That was so many fancy words. <laughs> oh, this is it one is of those incredible... where I hand the narrative over to the player. <laughs> It is one of the more comic operas. It is one of the longest ones. Mozart wrote, certainly, one of the three Da Ponte operas, and based on uh, plays by Beaumarchais. Uh, it, it, the plays are deeply political. Uh, in the opera, it peeks through. But if you're familiar with any kind of Shakespearean style farce, like, a, like your, your Twelfth Nights or anything, Marriage of Figaro feels immediately comfortable in the costume swaps that they know. Do they know that 
I know that they know that <laughs> I actually know the truth and it makes me really bummed about it. I'm trying to profit off of this whole thing. It has one of the most complicated second act finales around, but it is just, it hits real good. And who needs a play of Captain Salt? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's notable in that perhaps other operas might not have been the most satisfying piece of pacing, perhaps. I mean, they do have to stand there and sing their feelings for quite a long time. Uh, but this one is tight and it's funny. And the Kelly. Opera Bastille is an incredibly flexible stage. And though some people have opinions about its acoustics, because you're not dealing with a very heavy brass of a later romantic orchestra, you're dealing with this mostly sort of reedy classical era, the balance tends to be very forgiving to the vocalist. And you can hear all of these voices kind of like a dish with simple plating, where it is not the most vocal pyrotechnics in the history of opera but each note has to be perfect as it navigates the delicate passaggio that doesn't quite fit comfortably for anyone almost like all of these feelings mozart is very wry but at the end of the day very heartfelt Kelly, the opera is going to be so upset they missed this <laughs> tonight. Clearly, um. <clears throat> we should have scheduled dinner after so that I could have heard all of these thoughts once I've witnessed this amazing piece of art. <laughs> Seriously, it's a very watchable opera. Like, if if you want to get in, I strongly recommend this as as an intro opera. It's it's absolutely delightful. There are a bunch of filmed versions. Uh, there are a bunch of bangers that you will just get stuck in your head. Nozzo di Figaro. Absolutely tops. I love Sorry, you. I'm done now. I love you, Sam. I've tried so many times to have it be in character and you just keep making <laughs> like you just keep <laughs> you. I, just, I can't. I can't. You this got the thing. You made it about opera. I'm sorry. You did. I'm so sorry. All right. Cool. So, are we in? Let can I look. assume that Sol knows this much about opera, or because <laughs> I, I think that's the Sol thing as well is what I need to know. <laughs> uh, did Sol just you say know, all of that to me as Sam? Based on uh, that they went to high school in San Francisco, I certainly know now uh, there's SF Soda, the School of the Arts. Maybe they went there. I guess they kind of have to have. Uh, in <laughs> a completely different discipline and then had a friend who is like me and info dumped at them. But let's, let's, let's also acknowledge that this is Star Trek. And what we have seen time and time and time again is that the human capacity for having multiple expertise at an extraordinary level is always present in all of the characters in Star Trek. And so it's not out of the realm of possibility that Saul has a database of opera in their head, in their mind. I mean, I can only imagine that when Saul came to Earth and started integrating into Starfleet, 
one of the things that you studied was human culture and some of the things that maybe have stuck to Saul was opera. It's a pretty cultured city, and so there are a lot of fun things that you can do while you're cutting class. So let me let me ask this though: as you attend this opera, what do you think Exio gets from this? What what is the outcome of this opera when you were all leaving after the intermission and everything has passed, and the, and the people are filtering out and talking, and people are proceeding to their transporter pads to head back to wherever they were coming from, or step out into the streets of Paris, France at night? Um, what do you what is Exio feeling having attended their first live opera? Well, um I would say she's left the stain of cheeks, the the the, the tears whether from crying from laughing or crying from just the the overwhelmingness that um music like that can have on a person. Um and thinking about, you know, there is something different. There is always something that Exio, when is when it's felt live, is so much different than understanding it logically, or seeing a recording or a historical document or. Um, or the like, you can watch a recording of a concert, but the feeling of being there mm. is so much different. And Exio went from a lab to a ship. Um, she's not left many places. She's gone many places, but they're very contained. There is a reason she likes the outside of the ship. It's more. Um, You're actually from here, and you haven't spent nearly as much time around Earth. No. I'm from... I wouldn't even say I was from San Francisco. I'd say I was from... the base. And only the base. Well, maybe you'd like to take in some of our city for a little bit before we head back to the base area. Yeah, I guess uh, amongst all the crew, I haven't quite gone home yet. Do you want... Do you want to get a snack with me? Yeah. Are you alright? Yes. Let's go back to San Francisco and, and get an ice cream or something. I cover my anxiety with a very large smile. <laughs> yeah, Solo's definitely sending out some uh, some body language that's kind of reading a little. You don't tend to let your anxiety show unless you want someone to see it. So 
let's go get that ice cream. And then you tell me what's wrong. Okay? As you're headed towards the transporter pad, just as a quick descriptor of the environment, as you're stepping out of the opera house, it is worth noting that the office of the presidents, the United Federation of Planets is actually located in Paris. So as you were all moving out, it is not uncommon to see dignitaries and ambassadors and Starfleet personnel moving throughout the uh, arts districts here where the Paris opera house is located. You move amongst a few of the officers and step onto the transporter pad. There's a hum and a glow as you were all immediately transported back to San Francisco. As you leave the transport facility, um, you are walking down the streets of San Francisco. One of the things that you notice, Exio, as y'all are walking um, through these streets, first of all, San Francisco, 24th century San Francisco is a beautiful city. It is, if, if you have had a chance to see Star Trek Picard yet, I highly recommend it because it gives you a wonderful glimpse at what Earth actually freaking looks like to people who live in like apartment buildings on Earth. It's really exciting to see that expansion of the Star Trek universe. What's every day look like for somebody who just lives in a city and Earth? <clears throat> in this regard, the edges of San Francisco are beautiful and vibrant. Lots of night colors. Um, it's not, it has all of the glow and ambience of say like that. I would, <laughs> I would say a certain futuristic Los Angeles. It has all that sort of ambient glow of all the technologies and things that are happening around the Federation and newscasting, but none of the dystopian atmosphere. Everything is very like safe. You, as you're moving throughout the streets, you're seeing a lot of activity at night, people like conversing and talking to each other restaurants are opening um everyone of course welcome because there's no money involved there's um people <clears throat> that are moving throughout the streets of san francisco accessing replicators and whatnot as you are all moving down one of these streets exio it starts to occur to you that you are nowhere right now soul is leading you down one of these long sloping streets on the, uh, what would be considered like a distant from downtown San Francisco. Starfleet Command and Starfleet Headquarters is distant. You can see the Golden Gate Bridge from where you are off in the distance and the glow of Alcatraz in the middle of the bay. But you can't actually see anything out where y'all are right now of any particular relevance. Um, except for what looks like a small research, uh, you, you do see what looks like a it's not unusual to see this around uh, Starfleet Command. There's like little hubs of, uh, I would almost say like extended dorm room areas where Starfleet personnel are either working or researching in like labs that are located sort of off campus as it were. So San Francisco has little specks of Starfleet kind of scattered throughout it. Um, some of them are designed specifically to monitor weather, weather paddings or the, of the environmental uh, of the environmental type, although Starfleet, of course, having to do more with exterior and non-Earth-focused uh, sciences and whatnot, it's unusual to see too many of that. My point is, is that what you see uh, that Sol is leading you to looks like a small scientific facility with the Starfleet logo on it as they are approaching. Um, you see that it looks like uh, a random facility you can't imagine like it's so completely off the beaten path as you you're having trouble understanding why captain Sol is taking you here uh Sol, 
This is the appointment that you made. The person inside is Lieutenant Commander Tis Farah, a Gazerite, uh, a Grazerite, excuse me, uh, spatial anomaly analyst and gravitational archivist. Literally just handles Starfleet's archive of gravitational anomalies. And as you approach, the door opens before you have a chance to do anything else. Shh. And the Grazerite steps out, the Lieutenant sees you and says, Captain So. <laughs> This is yes. this is an honor. When I found out you were making an appointment with me, is that I'm so sorry, Commander Exio. I am such a tremendous admirer of your work, um, and and of Doctor Redgraves. Uh, truly, a huge advocate, by the way. hundred uh, percent uh, on board with everything the Doctor advocates on Federation news networks. I am. You I am have that gravitational history of Shackleton survey for yes, me, don't absolutely. you? Uh, if you want to just step on inside, I'm sorry, I don't actually have um, a lot of organizational skills. And he leads you into, this is, it looks like a small archive facility. It's literally like a small library where you just see rows and rows and rows of isolinear chips that store data. And as you step inside, Exio, you get the impression, you know how, let me put it this way. When NASA sends up, say, Voyager. For those of you who don't know, we still track Voyager to this day. But the people who are following Voyager and tracking it are literally in their garage right now, just pinging Voyager from time to time to find out where Voyager is at <laughs> and to find out how far, and if they've left the solar system and so on and so forth. It is a small side project that NASA checks in with all the time. This is very similar in that as you're walking into this, essentially it is an, a really fancy data shed of information where you see a holographic map of the Shackleton Expanse popping up and you actually see, Exio, your course and all the zigzagging and circling and everything that the Ross reported back. As y'all are stepping in, the lieutenant rubs his hands together and goes, I have been following the Ross ever since she left Space Dock. I have all those readings right here. Um, I'm sad to report that they're not any different from the readings you have, but I'm, I'm sure you knew that, but you, you wanted these, so. Um, I needed the are. confirmation. Yes, certainly. I'm so making lots of I'm so sorry. Uh, I forgot I, I had this. We just pick this up and then we'll go and then we'll talk. Of course, I just needed to make sure that I stopped oh, over here first. Absolutely. At any, any, any time, Captain, you need any sort of confirmation on data that is being archived by Starfleet. I mean, most of this stuff is sent to me to categorize and send back to Starfleet. I, I don't know why they don't automate this, but, but, but it's my honor. I'm not complaining. I love what I do as an archivist. Redundancies in, in systems are excellent. You know, archives of all things, it would be terrible to lose through some automated process. So I do appreciate you. I'm glad to have confirmed. Shall we be going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay, um, uh, goodbye. <laughs> Take care. You wouldn't have any mitten chip, would you? Uh, are you asking the are you, are you asking the the lieutenant? Yes. What, what did you ask? You don't have any mint and chip, do you? Uh, it's ice cream. I could, I could search the anomaly database. I, I'm certain there's mint and chip anomalies. Um, I'm 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 certain 
of it. There's a lot of anomalies in Shackleton, but you, you were there, so you would know that. Um, I'm sure there's something near here that we can find. Again, I'm sorry. Just have yeah. to pick it up. Have a good night. Take care. Thank you again. Have a good have evening. Uh, have a good night. And it was lovely meeting you, Commander. Lovely to meet you. I'm sure we'll run into each other again. You guys step out of this facility that's large enough to house a couple of shuttlecraft, but is only being personneled by one Starfleet officer who is archiving data. Um, Just happened to be in the neighborhood. Sol starts moving down the street, then starts to look around for where they should head. I don't move. Oh. <laughs> okay, Exio comes to a dead stop. Lost? Not like you, Captain, to be wandering aimlessly with your head on a swivel. I assure you I am. Lost? Now I step forward. What? Just running errands. I loop your arm and agree to walk nowhere. Um, yes. So I'm going to go down the street a couple blocks then and, uh... Am I walking with you? The, sorry, narrating. Oh, 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 I understand. I wasn't sure. Apologies. Uh, and there's, there's a convenience store there on the corner, a couple blocks away. Hmm. So this might have ice cream, no? I've always wanted to see one of those candy bars turned into ice creams. Maybe they have it. Let's find out. Mm-hmm. Just, <laughs> uh, just, uh, just, uh, just, uh, just, Axio, just. Yes. Just for profession's sake. Follow my lead. All right. Okay, I go inside. The the front of the store is the entire. This is not built to be a classical looking ice cream store of any kind. It is the entire front wall of the storefront is window, from the ground to the ceiling to the very top. So it's this beautiful, almost crystal like effect as you step inside. Um, also, as you step inside, the environmental controls in here immediately smack you, and you find yourself stepping into an ice cream shop that is deliberately to capture the feel of being in an ice cream shop being kept at about 65 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's cool the moment you all step inside. Also mm -hmm. greeting you are the sounds of a lot of people moving uh, about some of the replicators that have been fine-tuned to replicate some fine ice cream. But towards the back of the shop, you actually see there is ice cream being made for real with actual materials in real time. 
uh, making this a very unique and rare shop. You also see lots of uh, holographic displays advertising different types of flavors and like rotating these ball like these bowls of ice cream and whatnot that actually express going like in full explanations of what the flavors are compared to um, where their origins are like a full-on 24th century gourmet like nice ice cream shop right but what immediately seizes your attention Exio is upon walking in Curiously enough, there are two Orions working the shop. Um, one of them seems to be a large male who has his dark, arb like almost reddish hair pulled back into a very short ponytail. The woman that is manning the shop seems to be the one kind of calling the shots and in charge. She is dressed in very formal, very, very like uh, matronly attire, but it's like well, real well form fitting with a high collar. And they both are in the middle of a conversation with what looks like a Vulcan who is nodding slowly as he's getting an explanation as to what cotton candy really is. Um, and as she's in the middle of saying this to the Vulcan, she stops in mid-sentence as the two of you walk in. Um, this woman with that sort of lightish green tint to her skin, it's easy to read the body language Exio, as you see an immediate emotional shift come over her face. She looks like she's seen a ghost. Okay. The man is talking to her and saying her name over and over and she's not responding. But you hear again and again, uh, Nachi, Nachi, are you going to help me get the... And he stops in mid-sentence and he rises to his full hot and height and you see both of these two are completely speechless at the sight of you and Saul walking in. They freeze at the counter and the Vulcan raises an eyebrow and says, perhaps the computer would be a better teacher as to what cotton candy tastes like and sets the bowl down and moves over to one of the computer and begins to deftly call up the information. They don't even notice him leaving the counter as this dark-haired Vulcan moves aside. Um, the two people at the counter say nothing. They just stare agape at Saul. Oh, isn't this a lovely place? I don't think I've ever seen homemade ice cream. I'm going to pick up, like, a bottle of spike pear juice and, like, a bottle of lemonade and something so you have a drink to go with the ice cream and, and uh, go on back and check this whole thing out. I clock them trying us. Uh, well, specifically Azari, but um, I just look at them and go, sorry, I'm a bit overdressed. <laughs> hope I hope it's not too much. I know, velvet, it's a little sassy. <laughs> and I'm just sort of playing it off, um, following Azari's lead of uh, pretending they're not uh, exactly who they are. Okay. Um, so... So nice to see fellow Orions around town. Hi. I'm Captain Asri Sull. They stare at you for a torturously long moment, Azri. And 
the woman who's staring at you is completely incapable of holding back the tears that you see welling up in her eyes. And you can feel that shift in pheromones immediately as her chloros just goes bye-bye. She immediately just... You just exhale. She sees the seriousness in your eyes and the man walks up and squeezes her arm and she catches herself like she was about to say something out loud and stops herself. And he says, we pride ourselves on making sure that we create things that are beautifully different. You and uh, my commander here have that in common. Uh, we're on liberty from the USS Ross, the ship I captain. Gonna um, just pick up some kind of ice cream thing. She wipes her face and says, Captain. Mm -hmm. Orion Captain. First Orion Captain in Starfleet, in fact. So I'm doing, uh, <clears throat> I'm doing our people proud. Yes, you are. You hear him say to you, looking you dead in the eyes, Saul. And you see his jaw clenching as he's just... <clears throat> what, um, what can I get you? Uh, I'm sure you've never had Orion made ice cream before, uh, Commander. Uh, perhaps you'd like to try something, um, original and not so laden with the sugar that uh, <laughs> the Federation is known for constantly giving its citizens. We have a lot of really delightful alternatives that I'm <sighs> that I'm <clears throat> very happy to share with you. And he slides the bowl over the counter <clears throat> and um, the woman's unable to speak. She doesn't say anything. She, she just says <sighs> and she reaches down and gets a spoon and places it in the bowl. <clears throat> I'll take a spoon and <clears throat> take the spoon. I, the ice cream, <clears throat> first of all, it, it is, <laughs> first of all, Sol, you know there's no such thing as Orion ice cream. <laughs> it, it's totally a pitch here. <laughs> um, however, um, you have assert, you've just been served uh, mint and chips. Um, it's a flavor that you've known ever since you first arrived or had contact with humanity. Um, and that you've loved since you were very small. And you had your first bowl of it. And it was green. Mm hmm And it tastes just like it did when you first had it. <laughs> no. Um the, I think the I gentleman might get to who like looked this. over at you XCO. Yeah. Um says, I just, I, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, what can I get you, Commander? Oh, well, actually, um, I, I don't mean to offend you, but um, I actually don't have uh, taste buds that would be able to appreciate the very fine ice cream I'm sure you make here. Well, <laughs> not a problem. I, uh, there was one time I tried cooking food for a... <laughs> 
a Gorn. <laughs> it didn't um, quite work the way I thought it normally did. <clears throat> uh, I, I, suffice to say, I, I mean to say that I understand. Yes. This looks lovely, though, this place you've got here. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually love to hear more about um, the flavor of this very, very special Orion ice cream. Uh, well, we... A little bit about where it came from. He looks like he's faltering. Like, the facade of carrying on like everything is okay is finally wearing him down. And he just exhales for a second and says, <clears throat> It was... the favorite flavor of one of the most special people in my life. <clears throat> and uh, I made sure to perfect it in case I was ever fortunate enough to uh, to serve it to that person again. Will you excuse me for a moment, please? Of course. To, uh, <laughs> yes. and, um, he he uh, just steps into the back for a moment. And the woman finally finding her voice, she kind of wipes her eyes a little bit and says, <clears throat> Well, that's not the only flavor we have. We have strawberry. Um, we have some of the classic earth flavors. And we can, of course, create all sorts of flavors that are just completely bizarre. So if you feel like having uh, Trelexian eggs and Nafriculian milk flavored ice cream, um, this is the place to do it. Although I would say that um, even if without taste buds, Nefriclean milk is actually known to induce vomiting. <laughs> she kind of giggles. <laughs> um, um, however, I'm I, I am told by certain people of um, uh, of Bolian descent that uh, the regurgitation is actually where the pleasure lies in in eating it. I I'm sorry. I, this is awful to say to you at the, at the table that people are, are eating. I, I must. No, actually, you're not the first person I've heard that uh, fact from. Yeah, you're you're like. You, 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 it just occurs to you, Exio, you're like, yeah. Tech has told me this shit before. Like, <laughs> Maybe we should bring back a pint for the chief. That's a wonderful idea. Let me, um, let me just pack that for you. Um, and she starts immediately packing up an entire Actually, thing. Actually, do you have just sort of, um, small pints, uh, of each flavor? Oh, he would love a sample. Yeah, a same. We, we could. She laughs and goes. <laughs> take, take all the time you need. We 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 can wait. Um, the yeah. man comes back and starts immediately helping her create a bunch of samples, and they're putting the ice cream, of course, into these little units. These like slide in that keep it from melting at all, but. It does have the adjustment buttons where if you want slightly melted ice cream so it's nice and soft, you can do it. It's 24th century, man. So like that's the real technology that's, needed. That's all I want. Just slides it in. Um, it also has a refreezer unit. So at any point in time, if you don't want it soft anymore, you just press a button and it solidifies a little bit more. Um, they it's load really up. Really lucky about, we found this place. Yeah. <laughs> they load up about 18 pints into a small container that immediately has like a small repulsor on it that you just activate so it goes <laughs> so it, it's lighter as you carry it if you if you carry it close to the ground and they slide that across the counter um so you can hear them speaking to each other in orion 
and you're catching the things that they're whispering to each other. You're catching, you're catching every phrase. You're catching one begging the other to speak up. You're catching the other one saying, no, you must say nothing. You, you're catching the desperation and the excitement. Things that really can't be truly communicated, just like you're catching the tone. And when they turn back towards the counter, they are a wreck of two people doing their damnedest to be just as happy to serve ice cream as possible. And they slide this container over to you and says, and the woman says, please come back. You know, this place is so lovely. I'm sure I shouldn't indulge, but. In Orion, you hear the man say, indulge as a result, please. You know, we're grounded for quite a few weeks, and we happened to find this shop by accident. It's it's a wonderful place. We couldn't. Possibly. But we do have busy schedules. Being as important as we are. Little script. Mm -hmm. It's lovely. Thank you for the ice cream and the drinks. They simply clutch each other and watch you go. They say, they don't say too much more beyond what they are saying with their eyes as you leave the store. But as you walk out, you know that you're stepping out into the street knowing that they know you're a captain. That you're alive and well. And you're doing what they always prayed that you would be able to do. Now they know. You and Exio are walking. Thank you for coming with me. <clears throat> Commander, again, I'm sorry we had to take that detour to grab the data, but we never would have found this place without it. Forgive my rudeness, Captain. It seems I got a little hangry. <clears throat> they were quite lovely. I'm glad we found that place. It wasn't a good idea. It's, but it's been a long time since I've had ice cream. It was well, well worth it to see the look in their eyes when they got to present their very special Orion ice cream. Come with me. I don't want to. I want to make you run. 
Just All right. The two of you Thanks dash back. down the streets of San Francisco. It's a sloped hill, so you gain quite a bit of speed. <laughs> um, and uh, at a few points, you almost crash into a couple of people passing by who shout at the two of you as you all dash down this hillside with ice cream, <laughs> compensating as it's like hovering above the ground, bouncing in your hand. Um, <clears throat> before we cut away, I have to ask, are we headed to where I think we're headed next, like you had said, Gina? No. Okay. I think I, um, it's not even chickening out. Um, that was too beautiful of an encounter. I want to keep that. I want, I want to keep that memory for, a, for as long as I can because I don't think I'm gonna get the same looks that Azari just got. It won't be the same. But on the flip However side- However it'll be, you have your crew with you. Exactly. Just like- And I'm also, Exio? Yeah. This, right now, is what mint chip ice cream is going to taste like for you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yes, hundred percent. And I'm so happy that mint and chip was what I asked about earlier. Another thing I'm keeping, keeping, keeping that is, it's one of those moments. XA was feeling that when, it, when something, when a day just happens in such perfect order of, of, seeing so many wonderful people. I got to meet the ambassadors today, got to see the opera for the first time, you know, just when you, that, that perfect moment when you realize you're right on the correct path in life, mm -hmm. when everything just starts to feel right. And, and she's, she, she's gonna enjoy this day without um, any possible variables. Dr. Redgraves can wait for me this time. It is an underlying fact as well that as two people who didn't get, who didn't truly get to experience their own childhoods, run like kids down this slope with ice cream in their hands, get like pushing, like dodging people in, full, in like Starfleet regalia and, <laughs> and well-dressed, like y'all dashing down. Um, and for a moment, the the galaxy just bleeds away for a moment um the, there are there are no trade negotiations or crumbling cardassian government waiting for you on a frontier there's no questions about what the hell is going on in the shackleton expanse or the catechus or anything else you all have encountered all over the time there's just oh my god are we going to be able to stop our feet when we get to the bottom of this hill yes impeccably and and no, not even slightly. I was going to say, you, you're, you're starting to be uncertain as the laws of physics start to come into play. <laughs> you're, starting to be, you're starting to realize you may have overcommitted a little bit. Don't take the ice cream! <laughs> I can't slow down, Captain! <laughs> and the two okay. of you dash down that hillside. Which, if this was an episode of Star Trek, would take us to a hard cut of the roar of a crowd at a hockey game after an Andorian shoulder checks the 
fuck out of a Klingon near the goal, which immediately sparks a feud between the Klingon players who thought that that was a little over the top, which immediately leads to high sticking, which causes one of the refs to get shoved aside as the Andorian and the Klingon start fighting for the fifth time this match. And it seems like around all of you in the in the bleachers as you're all watching this, it seems like the people surrounding all of you have started placing bets on how many times they should take a drink of their ales or their drinks that they have in their hand every time a fight breaks out. Because Vrain goes, oh, there's another one, drink, 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 and starts immediately start pounding back what is probably best characterized as really bad American beer, though for the most part, most manufactured beer of mass quantity is bad. That's American. But I mean, there's some microbreweries out there and there's some good stuff out there. But for the most part, let's acknowledge that anyway. So anyway, Vren is drinking what you can only suspect to be really bad beer and is just like pounding it back and pounding it back and just, okay, I'm the only one drinking. Why am I the only one drinking? And just kind of like doing this. This means drink. You guys got to drink. I'm allergic. Or? I'm allergic to alcohol. Doctor, you're not allergic to alcohol. You're allergic to alcohol. I'm sorry. You're allergic to alcohol. <laughs> um, here, give me your drink. I'll drink it for you. This is for you, McCrell. Yes. This is McCrell. Hey! Vryn shouts to the audience around him. He's like, this Cation totally used Borg nanites to save a man's brain. <laughs> no one hears it as he's shouting it. <laughs> Prawl goes... If I had a hypo spray, Paul <laughs> just said, I, I'm off duty right now. And Vryn goes, Yeah, you want a beer? And he's like, No, I'm saying I could punch you. It's and all it, right, Paul. There's no one to stop me. <laughs> it's all right, Paul. I can also punch him. Do you want to do it together? We can count on three. And Vryn goes, No, no, no. I don't want no, the punching. I don't want that. Uh, as soon as that happens, uh, something happens in the game where I j like you just see McCrell completely switch and be like, "You call that defense, fools and fuck!" You can well, actually hit the plucky. Hit McCrell's the plucky. Hair stands up at the back of her neck as she starts shouting at the at the at the hockey game in front of her. Um, uh, Jane has been uh, participating in this conversation the whole time. You just can't hear her because <laughs> uh, this uh, no one mentioned that there was a lot of ice involved in this mm -hmm. game um and so as a cardassian she did not dress for the weather and then was forced to uh buy a bunch of like swag for the teams and <laughs> she's just like layered in like scarves and she's got like a little beanie on so like she's like in there with mccrell like yelling but it's all just muffled so okay. <laughs> um Shanto is doing her best to keep you warm. She's leaned hard onto you. So like every time you set battle, settle back down in the seat and you're done shouting, she just, she's like, okay, and warm break. And like clings onto you. It's warm, warm break, break, warm break. Um, okay, this is, I mean, Jane's happy she gets the excuse to cuddle with her girlfriend, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Shanto uh, seems like she's kind of paying attention. But you've heard her say a couple of times, she's like, I don't, I don't understand. There, there seem to be rules, but no one's following the rules, but that seems to be a Who part. Who cares of about the game. rules? They have blades on their feet and staffs in their hand. That's amazing. She's like, I'm, I'm a lawyer. There's, there's rules. 
<laughs> she rubs her forehead. She's like, this is stressful. They're punching each other. They're, the there's rule is you have to win. That's the only rule that matters in, in this game. Right? I don't know. I'm still learning too. You hit the puck, it goes back and forth. I see why McCrell really likes this. Um, At that moment, you, you hear McCrell. McCrell <laughs> <laughs> going crazy. <laughs> um, uh, real quick, did Olin? Olin came to the game too, didn't? Didn't they? No, they're they're getting prepared for the big, big dinner, fancy schmance. Yeah. Ambassadors, be impressed by incredibly impressive. Yeah. Oh. At, Speaking of which, at that point, Vryn leans over the seats and irritating the hell out of Prawl, who just goes, could you, do you want to move seats? And Vryn goes, no, 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 you're fine, you're fine. Hey, um. Oh. Jane, we should, we should, we should go, we should all, all of us should be on the tour that Olin is going to give. Yeah, be back for that actually. I do we want to leave? Do we want to do we want to rebel? Because McCrell looks like she's gonna kill someone. Oh my god. Wait, but how kick the puck! <laughs> You're screaming to kick the puck. Kick the puck! You're like <laughs> you just remind it's the, you it's kick the, the damn rabbit. It's the plucky, the you know, the little the little right, pluck right, that goes back. Is that what they call it? I think. <laughs> uh okay. yeah. uh yeah, I uh we we should definitely go back and definitely uh, assist Olin in this tour. I think that they would really appreciate that. Um, Vryn just goes, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. We already know the Andorians are going to win. By the way, the Andorians are losing by three points, which in hockey is not good. Um, which oh, is not good, but in hockey in particular, that's not a good. That's not a good I love that. I feel like you really have to earn your points. This is this game. Cardassians would love this game. Yeah. Um, Everyone stands up and makes towards the transporters as y'all are moving up. Vryn is having a little bit of trouble. Prawl is helping him. And you hear Prawl leans over and whispers to you, McCrell, and she says, I, I'm gonna need you to give I'm gonna need you to give Chops here a hypo spray. I am not gonna be taking care of him tonight. <sighs> I'm like like McCrell is all worked up and it's just like fine. I'll bring him to sick bay and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sober McCrell. him up a little bit, but and then all he's just under her breath and he goes, No Bartlett, no shot and like just going crazy. Actually I just slipped into Russian, so whoops, sorry if it was a question. <laughs> I meant to the same word. Kapla words. Um on that note, I'll just have a random hypo spray at the ready. <laughs> okay. And it's show. also worth noting, McCrell, you're like, man, I'm gonna have to drink a lot of tea tonight. <laughs> oh this game yeah. Has gotten you so worked up. I you're did like, not bring my murderous. third <laughs> bad bad deal on my part. Double dose of tea for, for McCrell tonight. You <sighs> all make your way back to the transporter pads. Um, that are on that are for the convenience of people that are coming from long distances are waiting at the front of the stadium. Um by the way, the Andorian team is the best team in the Federation, so that they're losing by three points is a big upset. Um, Klingons are playing hard tonight. Um, Vryn doesn't seem to notice, though, uh, even though his team is losing. As, as a lot of y'all make the way to the transport. Um, I have to say the names we thought of, though. Yeah, yeah, tell us yeah. the team names. This is great, because we it's, should have... And I just remembered Jane had a thing we had to do as well. We need these team jerseys made. <laughs> it's the Wild Targs versus the Red Bats. Red bats and the wild targs. Okay. Red bats are an animal on Andor uh, that are 
Yeah, it's an Andorian animal. Red Anywho. bats down three. What quarter are we in when we leave? Just so I just so I have a sense of how much time they have to make it up. Second half. So if they're going to come back, they got to start working now. Right. Yeah, but now. but they can do it. They can pull it off. Crazier shit has happened, unless you're the Super Bowl last night. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Wow, finally. Unless um, you're the sports ball last night. Jane so, just remembered she had one more thing to do. So I think that as everyone gets to the transporter, she, like, remembers. Okay. Yeah. Um, and is like, you guys go ahead. I need to take care of one more thing. Um, and so stops and says, is everything okay? Do you need me to come with you? Uh no, but um, no, but actually, uh, I, I think I should take uh, take Ren. You you go ahead, keep Olin, just, just give them hell for it's me. Okay. It says it's fine. I'll take care of it. Great. Um, and then Jane's gonna kiss her. Okay, um, and then you pull on kiss her back, and Vryn Vryn just goes, Jane, you should ask her out. Shh, Ren, I like her. Don't let her know. <laughs> I'm as this, as we're leaving, I'm going to turn to the cat and be like, bring him to sick bay later. I absolutely will. I absolutely will. Um, oh my god, I think I love Ren so much. <laughs> my favorite himbo. <laughs> I just shrieked on mute so hard, I think I woke my family. Prawl <laughs> is just like, how the hell did you survive the Dominion War? He just drags drags Vryn up to the side. Prawl looks genuinely like Prawl looks genuinely like like an old salted soldier who's really pissed off at the rookie for getting too drunk right now. But it's all in like the big brother loving kind of way, but using harsh words kind of way. Do you know what I mean? I um, love him. Vryn is like, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. And um, you are all head to the transporter pad. A few moments later, laying in the coordinates, using your authorization codes as members of Starfleet to beam back to Starbase One, where you will make a quick hop over to the main transporter pad to beam back onto the Ross. Um, what are you off to do, Lacat? Um, so she she has realized that uh, she never canceled her lease for her apartment in San Francisco. <laughs> okay. Um, she uh, joined the crew of Bear, the Ross very quickly, so she wants to uh, go take care of that real quick. Okay. Um, and uh, she needs to get into the apartment to get something. Um, so she's uh, gonna make her way there. And uh, yeah, I I mean, I think that it's, I actually have not seen this episode of Picard, so I don't know what modern living in San Francisco or any other city is, but um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think I think that like she lives in just like a typical like apartment, um, as as you would see in in that sort of setting, and um, she she just wants she 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 wants to go cancel her lease, but she wants to again grab something from the apartment. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think that she makes her way there, um, and it's uh, it's it's not a great apartment, but it's not bad either. Um, I would say that like it's it's a well, I mean it's San Francisco property like taxes are exactly as they are <laughs> like you know currently um, yeah. then it's probably like a decent apartment compared to to most um, but yeah I I think that she she's gonna she she like still has the key card to this place and I think that um, 
she, she's she's gonna uh, head up there. Okay. Um, so yes, this this is very similar to say the 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 apartment that you might see the character in Star Trek Picard. I can't remember her name. It's not Soji. It's her sister. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Star Trek Picard, you it is a it is a very um, it is a very nice apartment, um, complete with a big uh, living room, dining room table. Uh, of course, the kitchen is essentially a replicator, uh, sort of like hub where you can access any drinks you want and it's uh, any foods you want. It is, we'll say, on like the eleventh floor of a sky rise that is usually reserved. Yeah. For, it's near Starfleet Academy for people who are either attending the academy or living off, you know, off campus or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Canceling your lease is a simple matter of just bringing that up on a data pad and entering in a few commands and letting them know that you're canceling your lease. I mean, I'm, this is this is where it gets to the like, oh God, if only. I mean, this is Star Trek, 24th century. If you need to move, you beam your stuff to your new house. Ding! Yeah, I, I, I think that she, uh, I think that there's more of an emotional factor with it than just like I want to complete it on a data pad. So when, and- you, when you step into your apartment, LaCat, yeah. It what strikes you is when the lights come on as it recognizes you and it goes and you see all of your stuff still here untouched after a, a, a little over a year. The last yeah. time you stepped into this apartment was when you were packing your things to go to orientation for the USS Ross. This yeah. place is still half packed because if you remember before that you were getting ready to turn your badge in and leave Starfleet. No, so actually um I would say that actually it it so last time I stepped in this apartment was 11 months ago. Um, it's it, you wouldn't be able to tell this by looking at it, but the last time someone was in this apartment was about like nine months ago, and it's about like a one bedroom apartment, and uh, the layout of the furniture kind of right now seems a little bit off. It's mm-hmm. like uh, it's it's like some of it is just missing, like uh, like the armchair is still there but like the couch is gone like the tv is gone but the tv stand is still there and it's like two people were living here and like one person moved out mm-hmm. um and so uh like all the plants on the windowsill are dead <laughs> um if there's any- oh your poor little biological <laughs> poor little plants <laughs> um but if there's any like uh like digital photo frames like they've been like turned like face down i think Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's like on the wall, there's like a bunch of like human 19, I mean, yeah, 1980s, like 1990s, like memorabilia. And there's a uh, one like poster for like one digital poster for, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, like 1993 I, greatest hits. At the GM approves. GM approved. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's the album that made her realize what a great name Jane was um and so it's it yeah and so she she enters this place and it is seemingly in touch for like nine months or so and um she just starts like looking under couches like looking under the table Mm -hmm. um she is is squirreling around for something specific and when she doesn't find it in the living room she goes to the bedroom and um you like there's regular bed in this room and it seems like you know you have the two end tables and like her end table is still like has all her stuff on it and like the other end table has just been like cleared out 
Um, and uh, she doesn't pay attention to any of this, but she's looking under the bed and she thinks she's found it. And she like reaches under it and you hear a little squeak. Uh, and uh, she pulls out like what looks like an Orwell toy. And uh, that's, that's, that's kind of what she was here for. So taking this, she then is like, okay, this is like, it's burning an absolute brat without this. Um, and so she is, um, she is ready to go and leave this place, I guess. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, she she wants she wants to cancel release on the state I've had like put in her thirty days or whatever, but she wants to know if the other key card has been turned in. Um, and yeah. so the information she can find out to the data pad. It's been turned in. It's been turned in. Yeah, that's what she thought. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that she's she's gonna put in her thirty days for this place. Blink. As an actual property manager, I'm having anxiety right now. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, there's too many vacancies. Okay. There's too um, many vacancies. Space is very big and vacant. Uh, yeah, so she just wants to look at that poster. For it was another life ago. You're standing amongst ghosts right now, LaCat. Yeah. It seemed like you went from one person's life that was taken from you to a life you tried to build for yourself that wasn't right for you to building an actual actual life for yourself on board the Ross. And coming back here, you haven't felt the light years you've traveled until stepping back into this apartment. And as you stand here in the silence, as you're seeing the shuttles and hover cars go by outside the window here on the 11th floor, and see a lot of the holographic projections and advertisements of upcoming shows and news broadcasts that are being displayed over some of the city skyline. And then of course the beautiful, I mean, from here you can still see peeking over some of the building tops of the spires of futuristic San Francisco, the great Golden Gate Bridge that stands proud next to Starfleet Academy. Um, there's just this sense of like melancholy only in that you're sad that you're not sad. Yeah. Because you know that something that took place here had meaning. You just weren't around for it. Not really. Yeah. She keeps thinking of like the lyrics and like if anyone was around to like hear her say it, I think that you would hear her say like, repeat the words that from, from that song, it's like, I'm tired of myself and I'm tired of this town. And uh, it's it's just what she's thinking of right now. And um, yeah, that's all she had to do. And you step out of the room for the last time. Yeah. The USS Ross transporter room uh, has already captured the imagination of your father, Olin. Because as you all step off the transporter pad and Chief Singh looks up from the maintenance cycle that he's working on, goes, oh, hello. Sorry, I didn't realize we were having people transporting over. Um, well, uh, a bit of an impromptu tour, uh, as it were. 
uh, Chief Singh. Um, these are my parents, um, Daro and Solar. You are Both Ambassador Daro. I am. It is a great honor to meet you, sir. My father is in the diplomatic corps. He's joined because of reading about your exploits. Um, my my daughter wishes to go into the diplomatic corps as well. Uh, I, I'm, I'm honored to meet you. I don't know why I never made the connection until now. <laughs> uh, forgive me, uh, Ambassador Marginil. I, I, I shouldn't be surprised. Your child is quite the extraordinary ambassador. And of course, now that I'm seeing you here in our transporter bay, I'm realizing the reason why we have been so successful in all of our journeys is because we had Marginil on board. <laughs> <clears throat> and Olin just looks deeply uncomfortable with that. He's your father, who smiles a little bit and says, "Thank you, Chief Singh." Olin is going to be giving us a tour, and Chief Singh says, "Oh, good, good. Uh, yes, well, this is a good time for it. Right now, the Ross is undergoing maintenance cycles and is mostly empty as people have disembarked. But you should have free reign of all of the." authorized areas of the ship, which fortunately for you, being a Federation ambassador, of course, is every area of the ship. Oh, I'm sorry. One moment. And Chief Singh moves over to the controls and he looks up kind of confused and you see these multiple columns of light appear on the transporter pad. And appearing on the transporter pad is Dr. McCrell, <laughs> Yuri Prawl, uh, Jane LeCat, who caught up and has beamed on board, uh, Asmi Chanto, and a very excited uh, Vren, who goes, We made it! <laughs> when you all yes. um, uh, it Real quick, Tech, your evening was not just getting that data pad. Weren't you also going to be a part of the festivities? For, oh, I, I think we're going to look over this. Uh, so I was going to have it as you were touring the Ross. Holodeck 1 is taken over by uh, the Tellarite and the Bolian. Excellent. Just... Okay. Uh, then I'm going to say Dari is there with you then. Okay. Uh, uh... Dari, of course, wanting to like warm up to the Tellarite and trying mm -hmm. to get his good graces is mm -hmm. taking this opportunity, um, especially because he's in a good mood and she uh, wants to be around. So uh, you see the crowd Olin, step off the transporter pad. And Prawl immediately steps forward before everybody else can and walks right up to you, Olin, and says, Friend Strong, I'll handle him. Ambassador, Yeri Prawl. I am Chief of Security and Tactical Officer of the USS Ross. It's a pleasure to meet you. And he looks at Yeri Prawl and says, Yes, you're the one responsible for keeping Olin safe. For keeping the entire USS Ross safe. Yes, sir, but... It is a particular pleasure to be keeping Olin safe as well. There's an awkward moment of silence and Vryn goes, why is it quiet? I thought we were diplomats here. Don't we talk? It's talking, right? Let's talk on our way to sickbay for, um, I'm going to make you a special cocktail. Oh, 
Yes. Uh, cocktail. And you start oh. Vryn out. Um, Vryn pivots back as he's being dragged out of the transporter room and he goes, Ambassador, you gotta come to sickbay. It's the best to sh <laughs> Um, Prawl just says, <clears throat> well, let's avoid sickbay for now. And Ambassador Majanil, if you'd like to start the tour for your parents, and I would be more than happy to accompany if you like. We're not expecting anyone else, are we? And they kind of look at the the um uh the transporter pad and it's a slightly like half fearful but also half expectant sort of look because the entire command staff is here but mm -hmm. um there's a glow and the vorta beams into the no i'm sorry <laughs> i will punch you in the face <laughs> The entire team of the wild targs appear <laughs> the after party. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, when they realize nobody else is coming, they're like, okay. They probably had better things to do. And then sort of uh, turn in. <laughs> if you'll okay. follow me. And Lacat and Chanto and not McCrell, <laughs> but uh, Prawl, they all begin to follow you as you step out. As you enter the corridor, you can hear just the last few sentences of Vryn on the other end of the corridor entering the turbo lift with McCrell going, they're gonna win, we didn't need to be there. Shh. The door closing. The hockey game um, go well? Oh, we just came from my uh, hockey game. Ah. Your dad just kind of nods. Hockey, yes. One of the violent Earth sports. Many of the Earth sports are violence. In truth, Earth shares this with many of the Federation founding worlds. Yes, indeed. Um, <clears throat> Deltons don't particularly find pleasure in violence unless it's of a certain kind. Anyway, um, let's uh, continue. All right. You begin to lead your parents around the ship. It is, again, a testament to the size of the USS Ross. She is essentially galaxy class scale with that slight flavor of sovereign class added to her saucer section. She is a large girl. She's a big ship, big ship. Um, you show your parents the two warp cores, the second warp core being one of the things that is one of the more famous things about the USS Ross. You, of course, show the plaque of the USS Ross and give a history over the woman that this ship is named after and her contributions to science, as well as a brief history lesson on Native American culture and the unfortunate history Human. therein leading up Humans. to past the 21st century when uh, humanity had to be stupid and finally started pulling its head out of its ass. Um, you also take them to some of the more advanced research labs here on the and USS Ross. The they Ross let they let uh, Jane handle all of that. Like the moment they hit the science section, they just sort of step back and just let Jane go. Well, Jane, I will give you this. The Arboretum is definitely one of the great places. The promenade deck, obviously one of the things that the Ross is famous for, but it's deck 13 because you know that you know that your parents, Olin, are, especially your dad, is one of those people who is a full-blown diplomat, but at night they've got Discovery Channel on. You know, <laughs> parents. 
Um, he's, so he's sitting them to deck 13 and introducing your Olin's father to Dr. Yada, who is still doing work here in Cetacean Ops, um, is extraordinary because the holographic technology that's being used on deck 13 is empowering Cetacean Ops in ways that has never happened before. So Dr. Yada is able to take your father through the chart, the course that the Ross charted and is actually able to show holographic images of some of the extraordinary things that you've all discovered. You spent a good hour at just deck 13 as your father talks up Dr. Yada, which makes your mother quite bored after about 30 minutes, which causes her to start talking up Jane and Shanto. And it starts off subtle at first, but then it starts going into when's the wedding, Oh but no! It's not territory of like, and Shanto is just like, but it brings up something. She says something off to the side that you see, um, and you feel a quick twinge of anxiety inside of Asmi Shanto when she starts bringing up the wedding and like uh, family and all this other thing. You just feel this slight pinch of anxiety, not towards La Cat, but like a deeper fear. Oh, something. yeah. You're feeling something similar from Lacat as well. Just, like, dread. And, and, and you know, I mean, Olin's not dumb. They look at the Cardassian, and they look at the Bajoran, and, and you go, realize the conversation yeah, that, yep, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yep, that's about right. Mama, maybe perhaps we uh, ease off this a little bit, and how about I take you to see the promenade now? Would you oh, like to see the promenade? Yes, I would love to see the promenade. I hear it has two tiers. Is it two floors? Is that correct? It is the most uh, beautiful promenade designed essentially since DS9. In fact, I would dare say ours is better. Um, and uh, there are restaurants, though they're not open right now, though I imagine that as the ship uh, it starts to conclude its repairs, some of them might open. Apparently there's a food war going on at a couple of them that I've been asked to arbitrate uh, that still hasn't quite managed to work itself out. Uh, and, and if you'd like, you, you, you're more than welcome to, to join us. I, I, I know that we have one judge already set aside for that, but they need somebody impartial who doesn't know anything about the ship. You managed to talk your mother away from Chantel and Jane. And you actually managed to get her separated and lead her out the door. <laughs> your father says, ah, I'm sorry, Dr. Yada, this has been an extraordinary pleasure. I would love to continue this conversation further. Would you permit me to send you uh, mail? And doctor says, are you? Of course, of course, please send all of your inquiries straight to me. I'd be happy to answer any questions you have. And it just comes off as a series of loud clicks and whistles on the other side of the glass that the Universal Translator is picking up as this. You can tell, Jane, Yada's putting on a face, doesn't know how to talk to a, doesn't know how to talk to this ambassador, and is coming off a little too, like, of course! <laughs> it doesn't necessarily read on the face of a cetacean, but you can hear it in the translator's voice. Like, Yada's overplaying this. Oh, this is wonderful for Jane to watch, actually. Yeah. Yada's gonna, trying way too hard to be like, but of course, that. ambassador, come by anytime. This Science is, is at your disposal. <laughs> Um, as the doctor, uh, as the as the family leaves, Yada goes. I will never understand the intricacies of air talkers in your language. Are you sure you did wonderfully? 
I know. Flawless execution, Dr. Yada. It was, and yet I don't understand it. I must go back and watch myself on the hollow. I don't know how he bought that. And he pumps his tail and swims over to one of the hollows. And Asmi immediately pulls you aside and just goes, um. I don't want to get married yet. Yeah, we, I mean, we, look. Yet. Like, I don't. I, yeah, I, no, I mean. We don't like, have to have this conversation. Yeah, right we, not oh, that this is not on the table, so we don't. I'm have not to drunk enough for this conversation. Not that I should be drunk while having this conversation. I think that's an indicator. Um, I, no, I'm not drunk. I, 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 uh, I'm glad we're doing this together. And uh, oh. I want you to know that I would never break up with you over text message. You, okay. It just, I just, I just want you to know that I, you're important to me. I, I just, I, I, I want you to know that I don't want to get married yet, but I want you to know that you're the important enough that I wouldn't just ghost you. She puts on a mischievous little tight smile. She takes you by the hands and looks you mockingly in the eyes and says, Cat, are you telling me that you love me so much that you would just dump my ass straight to my face? Absolutely. I love you too. No. And Jane just says, shut up and kisses her. And if we panned the camera back, we would see Prawl just standing there going. He ships it. I know he does. You're in Cetacean Ops right now. I love a seaside view. Prawl <laughs> steps out and leaves Cetacean Ops. As the two of you just kind of have, <clears throat> as you're about to uh, look at each other again, this whale eye, the Cetacean eye, just, okay, I think I have an understanding of exactly how I was able to play that off. Um, <laughs> you show your parents the promenade deck and as you're taking them around the promenade deck, um, it's like you're approaching the end of the tour here. You come to a stop near the water fountain where not too many months ago you were sitting at across the table from a changeling, a Jim Hadar, and a Vorda, and one of the most uncomfortable and intense rounds of negotiation that an ambassador of any stripe could find themselves in. And your father, it just rings the bell that much louder when your father turns and says, Olin, this is an impressive ship. I am more convinced now than ever that the actions that were taken were the right actions. And your mother immediately says, can we not do this right now? And he raises his hand and says, I think it's important because I can tell it's on their mind. Um. Uh, 
perhaps it is um foolish of me to say but um the majority of the time I've been on the ship um I have not been sure that I'm supposed to be here um I've had a lot of doubts um Things didn't go the way I expected them to. But I know that you believe in me. I don't want to disappoint you. I don't think some of the things that you hoped would happen for me are possible. And I'm sorry that you've worried. And maybe that's why I, uh, I outed Jane the way that I did. Hmm. Because at least one of us is doing the things that you hoped I would be able to do. But I have my work. And, um, I think I can be satisfied with that. Olin. That warmth, that like Papa Lion energy as he steps forward and gently like takes your shoulders and says, even with my abilities to read your thoughts and emotions, in many ways, I have failed you as a father in that I have never been able to understand or appreciate or help you move past these feelings that you could in any way be a disappointment to me. You are serving now on the flagship of the Federation for her diplomatic missions. This is not a mistake. Get out of your own way, Olin. You're doing wonderfully. And I am deeply proud of you. Tomorrow, the Federation, in the debrief, is going to request that you attend. I suspect you're going to get a glimpse at what's waiting for you in the Alpha Quadrant. Well, now that you're in the Alpha Quadrant. You're ready for this. I know you are. Everyone knows you are. Now, 
Come. And he starts to pull you in for a hug. And his strong arms gently envelop you into a very firm squeeze. And a few moments pass before you feel your mother joining the hug from behind you. And the two of you are alone on the promenade in the middle of the night with this holographic waterfall cascading behind you. And just over your father's shoulders, Olin, you can see the ornate glass doorways of the Federation seal and underneath it, the offices of Ambassador Olin Majanil inscribed onto the glass. As a reminder, almost. I don't suppose you'd consider staying on the ship for a few weeks, would you? He pulls back and looks at you and says, I would like that. <clears throat> the three of you sit down, wiping clean an old memory of bitterness at this waterfall and creating an entirely new one. We're going to wrap with this final scene. The next morning, and everyone is at the briefing. This is in one of these Starfleet uh, main briefing rooms. So if you've seen Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, where Spock gives the briefing about the destruction of Praxis, it's very similar to that, where it's a large crescent-shaped table with a podium at the front, as well as holographic projectors being provided for people so that a big briefing can be given to senior staff's starships of multiple starships or multiple liaisons or any kind of diplomatic corps that's moved in here. In this case, you were surprised to find, <clears throat> as senior staff takes their seats at the table, um, Vren is just rubbing his head going, that's amazing. Leans over to you, McCrell, as you take a seat down and goes, I don't feel a thing. That's amazing, Doctor. That's just amazing. Did you put pork nanites in my brain? I don't feel a thing. No, no nanites. But yes, it's a special recipe. Oh, it's great. It's great. Prawl leans forward and says, if you shout about pork nanites again, though, I will remove your brain. You understand me? And, and I don't go. have the ability to put it back in. That's beyond my capabilities. Did I do that? Yes. 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 <laughs> you see him turn a lighter shade of blue as everyone begins to settle in. Um, Captain, as you're looking across the table, sitting next to Exio, you glance up to some of the admirals that are coming into the room and you see striding across the room, rather surprised to see Admiral Nollis Ree moving across the room who you thought was done in Starfleet. But there he is wearing his bars as he strides across the floor with a few of the other admirals. He steps forward and glances at you for a second, Sol, but doesn't say anything as he opens up a data pad and says, <clears throat> before we begin, I want to welcome back the crew of the USS Ross. After an extraordinary 11th month journey in the Shackleton Expanse, which has expanded our understanding of spatial anomalies, as well as uncovered new life, and indeed, yes, new civilizations. Uh, I have here a report from Admiral April Hebert detailing the extraordinary advances that we'll be able to make with subspace technologies, thanks to 
a very successful first contact with the Jashashian people. Jadaran is on track currently to submit its application for admission into the United Federation of Planets. This, of course, is pending all of the red tape that comes with such bureaucratic uh, applications in which, unfortunately, because of the status of the Shackleton expense, will also require Romulan approval. This is a unique situation. However, we are confident that the Romulans, if we continue to negotiate on the scale that we did, perhaps if they too were allowed to share in some of the subspace technologies, would be amenable to this. Uh, the diplomatic corps is currently discussing the matter right now, and I've put forward a recommendation that should they be considered for entry into the Federation, that we should in fact move forward with the technology share so that we can continue the bonds of friendship that are slowly beginning to develop in the aftermath of the resolution of tensions in the Shackleton Expanse, also by the USS Ross. Now, um, before we begin, I'd like to welcome one of our Cardassian liaisons uh, who will be attending the USS Ross on her return to uh, the Alpha Quadrant. Uh, a member of the Reunion Project who is here speaking on behalf of Alan Gemor, who is the head of the Cardassian Union Project. For those of you who are not familiar with the Cardassian Union Project, Alan Gamor is a Cardassian who has, for the better part of his life, been pushing for the ousting of military powers and the central role of leadership of Cardassia, and has been attempting to reinstate a civilian-run government of democratically elected representatives on behalf of the Cardassian people. And now that Cardassia is in this state, he is making that push as of right now. Unfortunately, he is not the official duly representative of the Cardassian people, and that we will go into detail more. But first, I'd like to introduce uh, his aide, Ellen Garrick, <clears throat> and he steps aside. Moving past all of you is a figure in fine clothing of Cardassian wear, of like the browns and greens and golds, moving with a grace, with a small, clever smile on his face as he strides past everyone in the briefing room. He moves right past a few of the officers with a data pad in his hand, and you see him step up to the podium and say, thank you, Admiral, for such a lovely introduction. Now, let's talk about saving my people. And that is where we're going to leave tonight's game. Next episode will be the departure of the USS Ross from Earth as we head out to the borders of Federation space at Starbase 621. You guys had an amazing game tonight. All of you had an amazing game tonight. Uh, thank you. Well, Star Trek on Earth is pretty awesome, it turns out. Wow. Yeah, it turns out. Turns out. Definitely yeah. not shore leave. This was yeah. something else. <laughs> No. Um, did, the, <clears throat> did the only dice that get rolled tonight were for the dance-off? Dance dance. Yes. <laughs> yes. We had another game Extreme session. Punks. We had another game session where it was like a dice roll. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, really, really well played, everybody. Fantastic vulnerability and going into character. I love these characters so much. Um, thank you so much for tonight and for a great episode of Star Trek, y'all. This was really great. Um, to our Ox crew, we love you dearly. Definitely catch us next Monday night as we wrap up our business here on Earth and head off to the USS Ross's new assignments. And before we sign off, I want to wish a very, very happy birthday to Dr. Aaron, who is a good friend yes. of ours, science consultant on Star Trek Discovery, um, and a fellow Mass Effect fan who I just absolutely adore, and who has, by the way, at one point promised, um, Dr. Aaron McDonald has promised that they will do a sit-down Q&A with Sam and I at some point on one of our live streams in the morning. So stay tuned for more information about that because she's great. And she said that once season three of Discovery wrapped up, she'd be willing to chat with us. So I'm gonna hold her to that. Um, in the meantime, you all, please stay healthy, stay safe, wear your masks. We love you dearly. And hailing frequencies are closed.